You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues and another installment of our Star Wars film commentary episodes, this time for Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. And as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-hosts, Tim and Paul, with me. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? I mean, I'm sure we each got our own particular Star Wars film that we just can't wait to talk about, but it's probably safe to say this one, all three of us are just equally ecstatic to be talking about <laughs> with Revenge of the Sith. Man, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited about Revenge of the Sith. You have no idea. This is one of my all-time favorite, favorite Star Wars films. And uh, I've been looking forward to this since we all kind of started talking about this a couple months ago. These next set of three films are probably the ones I'm looking most forward to recording, to be honest, Uh, because right now they're three of my favorite Star Wars films besides the first two that I've grown up loving and have seen more times than I can count. And that's obviously Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. But these next three films are literally essentially, I mean, I'd say Rogue One's above Solo at this point, but barely. I love Solo. I said Rogue One before Solo. Chill out. Just chill out. <laughs> well, no, I know, but, I'm surprised that you like it more than Solo, knowing you. I know, but I'm, I love Rogue One. You have to understand that. But anyway, that's oh, a whole, I do that's, too. That's another. But those podcast. are for the yeah. That's for upcoming episodes. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm saying is this: this next set of three are the ones I'm really looking forward to talking about, and this kind of we're seeing them in the context of the of the canon and the continuity. And everything, and it's really cool. And I, I've I've seen uh, Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One back to back. In fact, I've done uh, a commentary or not commentary. I've done like a like a trilogy where I've seen where I watched Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, and then A New Hope. I call it kind of like my mini trilogy where you can kind of like one and done it. And you, it's a really great to me. That's a great three film sequence in my opinion. It really flows well, and. Even Vader's, like, you get to see Vader's fall in Revenge of the Sith, then Rogue One. You get to see him a little bit being, like, the crazy monster that he, you know, he is essentially in um, in Episode 3, but he's uh, not in the suit. You see that suit come to life in episode, in uh, Rogue One, and then you have Episode 4 where you get to see his son. You know, it, it's, it's really fascinating. I think it's a great three-movie watch, so... You know, I'm all about little trilogies and little things like that. And that those watching those three in a row is a lot of fun, I got to say. So anyway, but Revenge of the Sith, one of my all-time favorites. And uh, 
yeah, I I can't wait to talk about the seeing this movie for the first time and the and my excitement for watching it the first time and all the times I saw it afterwards and got a lot we got a lot to talk about. This is going to be a real jam. This, like I said, this might be the best one we do. Like Kyle kind of mentioned that before we started recording. It just might be. I may have. I might. I'm buying. I'm drinking the Kool Aid. Okay, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I said for me personally, this might end up being my favorite. Yeah, I uh, had. You know, episode that we do for these commentaries. Um, episode three isn't it? See, episode three, and I'll get into this. It's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but like, I wish it was. Um, but why would you say that right now? Wait, what? Why would you say it wasn't your favorite? Well, it's in my top three. I'm not saying that to, oh, to oh, say oh, I oh. don't like it. No, I'm just saying I'm just saying it's not my number one. But I like. I wish it was. I like it that oh. much. Um, oh, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're this is this is gonna be good. I mean, I really enjoy doing our first two episodes uh for you know Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, but I think it's safe to say that this is where the fun begins. Um <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh jump into it, shall we? Um yeah. as always, I know we've talked about this on our previous ones, but for those of you listening, if you want to uh sit down at home, put the movie in and listen to our commentary along with the movie. Um, we all are on the Blu-ray version. We've skipped past the first couple chapters where it's like the Fox Home Video logo and stuff. And so if you pause it, we're at uh, zero out of 220 on the main chapter title thing that is the movie itself. Um, and we are just about ready to go. So you guys, you guys good to go? Yep. Oh, oh yes. All right. Let's do it in three, two, one, punch it. Now that Disney has acquired Fox, are we going to actually get this logo? Do we say that every time? I think so. We at least <laughs> talked about it for episode one. Well, I'm going to keep that tradition alive at least for four more films. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't well. mind it. At Three. least if they were to do see if they were to do like a 4K release of like the prequels of the original trilogy on Blu-ray again, they should put it on those. Obviously, they're not going to put it on like episode nine when that comes out because Fox had no part in that. True. So, um, right off the bat, just how perfect and great of a title is revenge of the sith oh. for the final chapter at the time of the skywalker saga and the prequel trilogy knowing that how dark episode three was going to be and how it was going to be the fall of anakin and we're going to see darth vader revenge of the sith just sounded perfect and might have been the one time for me anyway about fan speculation of a title that actually ended up right because Revenge of the Sith I've heard a lot even like during the episode one episode two days of not knowing those titles that Revenge of the Sith could be a prequel title and it was for episode three and man it's just perfect yeah it's I mean it's perfectly fitting it just has that classic kind of Star Wars ring to it mm -hmm. um and yeah it just perfectly sums up everything that's going on in the movie and Palpatine's you know final execution of his grand plan a perfect mirror to Return of the Jedi as a title for mm -hmm. yeah yeah for the at that time the final chapter in the saga <laughs> with Episode Six so this will all blend it together so beautifully. By the way, I have to before it goes up. This crawls one of my favorite crawls of all Star Wars, and I love the the first thing is war exclamation point. You know, mm -hmm. there's heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. I just love that yeah. opening. It's beautiful. Yeah. I remember that like, getting some and, flack in the day, too. I was like, what? oh, no, no, they're idiots. <laughs> yeah, idiots. I like that you really get the sense that a lot has happened in between two and three. And then, I don't know about you guys, this right here is my favorite opening of any Star Wars film. 
Um, yeah. I'm going to have to yeah, agree. It's this for me, like when you hear people who were around in 1977 and like saw the original Star Wars in the theater as kids and talk about, oh, I'll never forget watching that Star Destroyer go overhead for the first time. This is my moment for that. Um, episode three for me was the first movie I ever went to a midnight show of. I went with my dad my freshman year of high school. I was what, 14 when this came out. Um, and this was the time period when I really went from like kid who liked the star Wars movies to like, like in between episodes two and three was when I really started getting into the books and the EU. And like, that's when I consider myself really becoming like a diehard star Wars fan. And so I was so hyped up for this movie. Um, and especially, you know, again, like seeing where Anakin and Obi-Wan left off the last time we saw them in episode two and then reading as many of the books that I had, like the Clone Wars novels that came out back in like 2003, 2004 that were kind of filling in these time gaps. I was so excited to see these two characters again on screen together because the books kind of hyped up that they became like these legendary figures in the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, that Anakin was the hero with no fear and Obi-Wan was the negotiator and that they, you know, fought on all these battles together and did all this great stuff for the Republic. And just that opening shot and hearing like those war drums banging as you see the cruiser and then seeing the two Jedi starfighters fly overhead and just the way that they're, they're you know, doing their barrel rolls all in tandem and everything. It's just like, that's it. There's our heroes coming to save the day. And I love it. It's the perfect opening shot. It looks beautiful. Like you said, the score was perfect with the drums. And then when the or orchestra really kicks in with John Williams music, it just, oh, you just get chills as a Star mm -hmm. Wars fan seeing it. It's, yeah, it's up there as one of, I agree with you, that's probably the best shot to open a Star Wars movie. But just this whole sequence, it's up yeah. there as one of the best. And mm -hmm. I got to say, when I saw it at the first time, that wasn't the case for me because what? Knew, here's why. I knew it was going to be a space battle to kick off the movie. I knew that, but it was such a unique and different space battle and how it just focuses on Obi-Wan and Anakin. We get a little bit that we're seeing right here with the clones being shot down. I'm sad to see as always, but <laughs> it wasn't like a space battle where you're going through different pilots, going, moving across different ships and attacking different ships. Obi-Wan and Anakin are just on a straight path to Grievous' ship, the invisible hand. And at the time I was like, it was just so different. I didn't know what to think. It wasn't what I was expecting and I didn't know how to feel about it. But ever since then, I just appreciate for how different it is and how unique it is of a space battle in the Star Wars saga. And I love it for that now. So when I first saw this, this is exactly the example of what I've called this as this opening sequence. And this whole film is literally that, this is what I'm saying here. Is Star Wars on steroids. That's what I describe Revenge of the Sith. The entire film is Star Wars up to 11. And it's because it's it's the dogfight, opening dogfight. You're thrown right into it right away. It's just like you're in right into the action. You have no time to breathe. And it's like that. I mean, when R2 does squeals, like he does like, you know, one squeal of film, he did like eight in this movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm obviously, I'm obviously paraphrasing or, uh, or exaggerating, but... The thing is, he does like a whole bunch more. So it's almost like Lucas really did think this was going to be the last Star Wars film. And he wanted to go out with a bang and just give us as much intense Star Wars stuff. The Jedi Starfighters look like Star Wars. It's, mm -hmm. At least it looks closer to the original trilogy, which, again, was all Lucas's plan. And even kind little of, things like Oddball saying, lock s boys in attack position. I just exactly. got a huge smile on my face when mm -hmm. I heard that. Oh, yeah. So, and I mean, obviously, the ARC 170s, you can tell, are clear like predecessors to the X-Wings. Yeah. So this is, and this is why I say Revenge of the Sith is Star Wars on steroids. And and I'll keep pointing out the other things that I think that are, is, is emphasizes that throughout we watch this trilogy or this movie, excuse me. But yeah, this, 
this opening sequence is, is probably one of my favorites in all of Star Wars. It It's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful sequence. Yeah, and just to go back to what you were saying, Tim, I mean, I think for the reason you pointed out, this isn't my favorite space battle. Um, just because I, I still think the Battle of Endor is tops above everything just because of like you see the scale of everything going on and mm-hmm. there's so much exciting action and the dogfights and stuff and i do wish with this battle that we got to see a little bit more of you know just clones and droids fighting it out and you know i love even once they get onto grievous's ship then once you cut back to like some of the other you know the just the barraging like the turbo lasers going back and forth between the cruisers and all that kind of stuff like i love all that stuff going yeah, on that's awesome um and so I wish we got to see a little bit more of that, of just like the the general like large scale battle as a whole. Um, but I totally understand like why they had to tell the story this way. First of all, there's just so much stuff jam packed into this movie and so many other battle scenes and everything that they kind of had to focus on, like just Anakin and Obi-Wan getting to rescue the Chancellor. Um, so just I appreciate that we get even as much sort of action in this opening space battle as we do. Um but even then, I mean, in, in a lot of the other movies, the space battles There's are one. Like the big climactic finales. <laughs> but in this one, yeah, it's almost more of like a chase scene or something um, just to open up and to get them to their objective. Yeah. So so at, again, as a space battle, it's not my favorite. But as an opening action scene, I love it. Yeah. And here comes one of my favorite Obi-Wan shots. And mm-hmm. he just flies out of his starfighter and ignites that lightsaber. Oh, there it is. Again, Star Wars on steroids. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just have to say, too, like, I know there's so much stuff later in the movie with, uh, you know, Anakin turning to the dark side in Order 66 and the duel with Obi-Wan and, you know, General Grievous and the battle on Utapau and the battle on Kashyyyk. And there's just so much stuff jam-packed into this movie. But the first half hour of it or so is some of just sort of the most like pure fun Star Wars in the yes. whole saga, I feel like. Absolutely. And I feel like that gets mm-hmm. overshadowed a little bit by some of like the darker and heavier stuff that happens later. Um, but I love seeing Anakin and Obi-Wan together in the space battle and then fighting their way through the through the cruiser and then, you know, their duel with Dooku in their first encounter with Grievous and fighting all the Magna Guards. It's just like fun, frantic, fast paced Star Wars. And you really do get a sense of like the friendship and camaraderie between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And you can tell them like how long, how much they've been fighting side by side and building a tighter bond together in the Clone Wars before that all starts to fall apart later. People try to like talk a lot of crap about Hayden Christensen. And I, he, I think his, his second film or the, excuse me, attack of the clones wasn't his best performance agreed for at least some of it, I mean, you know, whatever. But I think he's pretty good in this movie for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think he gets he gets unfairly tapped like, oh, he's so terrible. It's like, no, have you seen Revenge of the Sith? It's not that bad. <laughs> There's a few moments here and there, but really, I thought he delivered a great performance. And I love, like you said, the camaraderie between uh, Ben and uh, and Anakin. It's really, it's really well done. They have a genuine, like, uh, natural... Uh, com- camaraderie that y- that they didn't really have in the, f- the first film or the second film, excuse mm-hmm. me. And so I just, it's one of those things where I feel like because of the second film reaction, everyone just jumped to the same conclusion that this film Hayden was just as bad. I'm like, no, I, I just, I can't, bu- I can't buy into that. Oh no, oh, I think right. he's much improved in this one. Yes. Agreed. There's one scene in particular coming up after the sequence where I think, is probably one of his best scenes that he's acted in this time as Anakin. I think it's a little underrated, but um, just going back to what you were saying, Paul, I think that fits in with 
even just the overall story within the Star Wars universe too, it makes total sense because in episode two, we know Obi-Wan was Anakin's master and he was his Padawan. So there had to be that more stern student and teacher relationship that they had. But this one, they're, you know, not, I'm not going to say equals as Obi-Wan's a Jedi master and Anakin's a Jedi knight, but they're more, you know, on equal footing, so to speak, where Obi-Wan always doesn't have to be, you know, looking and watching Anakin all the time as this master and making sure he's doing things right. He can trust him to do things on his own now as a full-fledged Jedi Knight. And you could just see that in their relationship in this one sequence, as you were alluding to. So even in universe, it makes total sense and it works so well. Yeah. I will say one of my tiny little nitpicks in this movie, I wish they didn't give the super battle droids, those goofy voices. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. You know, like I like the way they do it in the Clone Wars uh, animated series where, you know, the the B1 battle droids are, you know, doing their comic relief like, hey, sir, there's a Jedi over there. But then the super battle droids have like the deep, serious voice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when those guys show up, they mean business. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that threw me off a little bit when I first saw the movie. Like, man, Lucas really changed the voice of the battle droids from episode one and episode two, where they're more robotic. And this one, they're a little more squeaky and have a more comedic tone to them. And. He was just preparing us for that type of stuff in the Clone Wars, because <laughs> at least for the standard battle droid models, he took that up another notch <laughs> in that series. But it all makes sense, I guess, when you watch Clone Wars and then see him here. It still feels like battle droids. Yeah. yeah. I, I also love how much R2 did in this opening. I, You know, it's one of those things where he had a few moments here or there in the first and second uh, prequel films. But this one, I just love how how integral he is in this opening sequence. Mm-hmm. And I love here, I mean, this is the shot where they're walking into the room where Palpatine's being held prisoner. And it's just a nice little touch. I love how much of the battle you still see going on out in the background. Yeah. Especially, you know, watching it on Blu-ray and seeing the HD quality. You can see, like, individual squadrons of ARC-170s and V-Wings flying by and getting chased by droid tri-fighters and stuff. It's just such a cool little background detail. And even just like, as we're watching this right now, obviously with no audio on, cause you know, we don't want to have like out of sync background music and stuff. Um, I have audio. Well, it's <laughs> nice for you. Um, That's right. But it's almost, I don't, because I'm like not distracted by the dialogue. I don't know why I'm, I feel like I'm even taking more note of all the stuff going on in the background. And I'm like trying to watch this battle and it's just really cool. Most underrated lightsaber battle in a star Wars movie right here i mean this movie is yeah, talked with full say that green, again yeah yep yep this one hardly gets talked about in the choreography especially near the end with anakin and dooku man it's pretty awesome mm-hmm. i remember when the revenge of the Sith video game came out and one of his big features was like having clips from the actual movie into the game I love this. I love this was right one here. of them but it got a sequence, a lot of dialogue got cut from Dooku from the actual movie, but <laughs> it didn't take away anything from the lightsaber battle. Right here. It's coming up. Oh, where Palpatine's like <laughs> cheering him on. I love Palpatine's. <laughs> yeah. See, I just knew, found something out for the first time with the subtitles on. I always thought he'd just say, yeah, but he says, get. <laughs> oh, I, I don't have the subtitles on. Maybe I should change that. I feel like I know this movie so well, I didn't even bother exactly. to put them on. But yeah, so then there, once right Obi-Wan here, gets sequence so yeah cool. once obi-wan gets knocked out of the fight and it's just anakin going to dooku it's just so 
intense and fast paced. And obviously you see like when Anakin says my powers have doubled since the last time we met, like he's kind of boasting, but I mean, we can tell, especially if you kind of ignore the fact that they fought like five times during the clone wars, obviously when this movie (laughs) came out, that line was in reference to like when they fought in episode two and you can tell just sort of how much more powerful Anakin has become since then. How cool is this shot? I'm just Anakin grabbing that lightsaber with that look on his face. <laughs> he, Star Wars on steroids. He said of one hand, he takes both. Yeah, <laughs> great point. I'm, I'm gonna, guys, I'm just going to be pointing this out all day, and you're going to be like, he's got two lightsabers. Star Wars on steroids. <laughs> hey, he did have two lightsabers in the last one, too. No, but he uses it for the killing blow, though. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> You're competent. Oh, thank you. But I know you've, we've told you that before, I think. Well, I decided, you know, I got, I'm going to have to quote a few of the oft-memed lines in this movie. <laughs> so now that we're we're kind of talking a little about the, this opening, is one of the most amazing openings in a Star Wars film ever, and I don't know if it's ever going to be topped, in my opinion, to be honest. But with that being said, I got to talk a little bit about the movie coming out. And I got to say, you know, after the first and second films, you know, and, and being right out of coming back from uh, from my uh, I was at Bible school for a while. And I came back and was here for a year working and I started getting really excited about the next Star Wars movie, even though I didn't love the second one at the time. And I didn't I wasn't in love with the first one, really, the prequels, as far as like at that time in my life. I was starting to like them a little bit more watching them on DVD, but when I started seeing the trailers for this movie, I started getting really, really excited. Like we're talking, I couldn't control myself. I knew, I kind of knew uh-huh. George was going to give it all his all. And I'll never forget. I saw all the films with my brother in Marysville, Washington at the, at the theater there. If you guys are from Washington in that area, you know exactly which one I'm talking about. It's still there and it's small, but anyway, I saw all the films at midnight with my brother at this theater. And this one was a little special because I thought it was going to be the, it was going to be the last star Wars film. Right. I really thought this was it. And it was really funny because it was a really emotional moment coming in and, and, and watching it for the first, you know, for the a new star Wars film for the last time. And I just remember watching it and just being, I can't believe George has done, has, has done the unthinkable and is, given us everything we want in a star Wars film right off the bat. And it just, this movie is just so special to me. And I, it, I, in, in my opinion, it saved my love of star Wars. And I don't think it needed saving, but I think it pretty much, it went from, I still, I love star Wars. I love the original trilogy. I, I like the new films. Okay. This made the other films. Okay. For me is this film was so good. I loved it so much. I think I saw it almost every day that weekend. Oh, nice. And I'm not. I, I'm pretty sure. I or no. I saw it. I think three times that weekend. I could not stop watching it. And this still remains one of the. I saw this movie eight times in the theater total. I saw it a lot, and I just could not get enough of it. And it remains to be probably one of the only movies I've seen the most in a theater ever. So I'll never forget. I was working at a uh, at a. At a uh, Washington Mutual call center for a bank and I was training at night and I, I just started, I got my license finally. I got my license late in life. And one of the things I wanted to do, or I got, got off late at work one day because I of training and I'm like, Hmm, I don't, I don't have to get up tomorrow until, you know, really early or it's really late. 
So what am I going to do for the rest of the night? I'm like, hmm, Order for Revenge of the Sith is still playing. Yep, it is. And I went and saw it that <laughs> night, and it was so amazing. I remember thinking, like, this is the best Star Wars movie. This is one of the best Star Wars movies ever. If anyone can't say that, they're ridiculous. So, yeah, this movie just means the world to me. And I just, I have seen this movie a lot for good reason, because it's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, for a long time after this came out, it was my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, and I know you said you saw it, what, eight times? Yeah. In the theater. Yeah, I saw it five times, which was a lot for me because I was only 14. I didn't have my own car yeah. and didn't have a job. But, you know, yeah. so it, even to get my parents to take me to the theater to see it five times was pretty special for me. And I remember the last time I saw it, um, it had been out for a while. It was probably, you know, towards the end of the summer. And it was like I think it was like the last week that it was playing in theaters. Um, and I went with my mom and my sister and they went to see some other movie and I was like, I want to watch Star Wars again. And so I, I saw it for the fifth time and was sitting almost in an empty theater. Like I was sitting by myself and there were maybe like a handful of other people kind of scattered around. And I remember that was when I kind of just had the sense of closure of like, this is the last Star Wars movie. I'm watching it for the last time. And like, Aww. you know, it just felt like, I mean, obviously not the last time I would ever see it. Cause, uh, right, yeah. you know, obviously, <laughs> but, um, I knew because we would, it, it was back in the day when you still had to like check movie times in the newspaper. Um, and I think they said that it was like the last week that it was going to be showing. And so I just remember feeling kind of this sense of closure and finality and like being like, man, I'm like a diehard Star Wars fan sitting here watching this for the last time before it goes. Um, and it was really special. And yeah, like you said, I loved it. I have a lot of really fond memories of just like the lead up to this movie. I still remember the first time I ever saw the trailer in a theater um, and going to the midnight show with my dad, who's also a big Star Wars fan. And that was a really special experience. And then, um, yeah, for like I said, for years, this was my favorite Star Wars movie, I think, until I got a little bit older and kind of became aware that like the Empire Strikes Back was like the generally like most like the film that most people regard as like the best star Wars movie. And so I kind of felt like for some reason, like that had to be my favorite. And then it became return of the Jedi, which was always my favorite as a kid. And now that's kind of returned yeah. to being my favorite one. But, um, and I do have, I mean, there's, there's just a couple of flaws in episode three that, you know, we'll talk about yeah. as we, as we get through it, but it also definitely has some of my favorite moments in the saga. And that's why I was saying like, I wish I could say this is my favorite movie. Um, but it's definitely up there. It's in my top three. So, yeah, maybe I'll go into my experience with seeing it the first time later because I just want to be talking about <laughs> the sequence going on right here. No, I, yeah, yeah. Such, go ahead. Again, just going to how awesome of an opening sequence this is. We've had so much cool stuff already, and then we just got a short but very sweet skirmish with Anakin and Obi Wan taking down battle droids, the manga guards, which was cool. I remember seeing that first concept art was Grievous and this Grievous in himself looked like a, such a cool design. But then you see his manga guards and found out they were going to have these viral blades that we able to block the lightsaber. I couldn't wait to see that in action and so much good stuff visually too. Just, I just saw right there, Grievous walking in space. <laughs> that just looks awesome just from a design standpoint, but just, we think this is a nice way to cap off a cool action sequence to open a Star Wars movie, but there's more coming with the ship <laughs> going down yeah. its Coruscant. Just yeah. so much great stuff, one after another. And going back to a little sequence when Obi-Wan and Anakin were first brought to Grievous, it's funny when you look at it now as watching Clone Wars for six seasons and thinking how much <laughs> effort Dave Filoni and company had to put and making sure Anakin did not see Grievous at mm -hmm. all in the series. So if you're someone who grew up with 
the Clone Wars and watch that series and then maybe watch Revenge of the Sith afterwards, it had to be a pretty big moment where you're going, Anakin's finally meeting General Grievous for the first time. <laughs> and then they have those little insults with each other. So it's just all good stuff when you see it in more and you have more context from the Clone Wars stories we've gotten. Yeah. Well, I have to say that this movie is when I first saw it, everyone was kind of they didn't know they didn't want it. I felt like people didn't want to admit that they loved this movie. They kind of said, yeah, it's the best of the three, but it's not saying much. Yeah, I heard it's that like, so much. It's like, why don't you I just, <laughs> yeah, why don't you just say that you liked it? But they didn't want to say they liked the prequel film. That's how I felt. But now it's like, obviously, the prequel films and everything's more widely accepted. But people got to realize that my favorite Star Wars films are Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. And like what you said, Kyle, very much. I, growing up, Return of the Jedi was my favorite. Everyone, as I got older, everyone said you should love Empire, and I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I should love Empire." But to be honest, I love them both equally. They just flip flop back and forth. I loved, I loved Jedi as a kid. Empire became my favorite as an adult, but they just kind of flip flop. I, I can flip a coin, and I'm fine. But Revenge of the Sith is just, it just hit me off the, right off the bat, and I just what I have just started defending it completely from the start. And people try to, you know, talk crap about it. I'm like, listen, it's not your thing. It's not your thing. But if you liked it, but you or you, you kind of liked it, but you, you say the it's the best of the prequels. That's not saying much. You just don't want to admit you liked it at that point. And mm-hmm. it's really does have flaws. And we're and like you said, Kyle, there is a couple that I can't really talk about as or we we could talk about and criticize because yeah, there are some there are some things that are are a little rough. But at the same time. I think this is just so. I love that shot where mm. the building falls down. That's an ode to Steven Spielberg, but but yeah, it's it's just one of those things where I just I love 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 this movie, and I I just can't. I flaws and all, I think it's the third best Star Wars film. I I I think it stands up against all the new films. I think it's still better than all of them, in my opinion. So I just yeah, I think Revenge of the Sith is a gem, and it's just. Ugh, I can't. I'm just gonna gush this whole movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, that whole sequence of them flying the ship and Anakin displaying his great piloting skills there and be able to land that ship or you know try to land what's left of it, as he said. But one aspect of it that I like is just seeing Palpatine sitting there. He doesn't say anything, but I want to just have to be imagining that man. Like his whole plan is hinging on him surviving this, and it's not a sure thing. Yeah, <laughs> he allowed himself to get captured. He wanted, you know, to take out Dooku, and he's beginning to really put into motion his plans to turning Anakin to the dark side. But yet, his chance of survival is not one hundred percent in that moment. But <laughs> just seeing that little concern on his face in certain shots just makes you think, you know, his plans really coming down to this moment of Anakin landing that ship. <laughs> Also, just because we got some dialogue here between Anakin and Obi-Wan, I'll just throw it out here, even though this scene in particular isn't super special or anything, but Ewan McGregor appreciation time um, for just one of many <laughs> killing it as Obi-Wan in this movie. Um, and I feel like we've talked about that in our previous two episodes, too, that he's just pretty much consistently great throughout the prequel trilogy, but especially in episode three, um, he just he knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, on so many moments in this movie. He he does carry the trilogy. Let's let's be real. We can't mm-hmm. we can't deny that fact. And that's not a bad thing, obviously. I mean, they cast him for a reason. He's like the main character besides Anakin. They have to me, they're equally 
they're equal billing as far as main characters. And so I don't know. I, I just, I love, love, love Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. And, and this obviously just, I think this is his probably his best performance because you get to see him at his lightest and you get to see him at his darkest. So yes. mm-hmm. I think is great. Yeah. Now, question for you guys that is going to kind of tie into this scene right here is Anakin is seeing Padme for the first time. How much time, because it's, it's not really explicit, but how much time do you think takes place over the course of this movie? Hmm. Well, a lot of it depends on the next few sequences. <laughs> like how long was Anakin on Obi-Wan on Coruscant before all that stuff went down? Like you said, they don't really say. But. Yeah, I, I was just wondering, because I've debated this a lot with people. I know people that say, like, oh, this takes place over, like, the course of a week. I always assumed it was at least, like, a couple months. And mm, these See, early... I, don't, I never got the impression it was that long. Well, here's the reason, and this is maybe just me overthinking it, but when he picks her up and hugs her, if she's, like, eight months pregnant, how would he not notice that before she tells him? <laughs> mm. oh, yeah, never thought of it that way, but you, you might be right. But this is the scene I was referring to when I was talking about an underrated one for Hayden's performance. Just the joy he showed in seeing Padme, like that yeah. relief that he's back from war and how he says he doesn't Agreed. care about hiding and like all that stuff. You just see it weighing on him and it's like his moment of happiness is here. And then once she tells him she's pregnant, it's that added joy. He First it's shock, but then just knowing what's, you know, it's an ahead of him in life, being able to have a son and not worrying about all the responsibilities he's having as a Jedi, but just that joy you see on his face, which just adds to the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker that we see in this film when he turns to the dark side and just everything becomes undone. I think this scene is so important of establishing that what a tragic story and downfall it was for him. Just that line of dialogue right there where he says, this is the happiest moment of my life. He he really sells it really well. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Dare I say he outacts Natalie Portman in that scene? Well, easily, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think probably uh, a cardboard cutout could outact Natalie Portman. In this <laughs> well, scene. I don't know well, about that. I but. mean, I think they they have their sort of different parts to play in that because she is obviously more nervous and you know considering the implications of this and she's already found out so she's not like excited finding out that she's pregnant for the first time she's presumably known for a while and you see just the range of emotions that anakin goes through finding out for the first time so i think the emotional kind of weight of the scene is a lot more on him very true and i think she's terrible in this movie (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm not done with her yet yeah well okay i i I love Natalie Portman. I don't want to bag on her too much, but there is one particular scene where they're both equally terrible, and we'll get to that. But yeah, uh, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do like the scene here too between uh, Grievous and Sidious, where you just kind of see um, Sidious scheming, and I mean, he's just Grievous is just kind of a lackey following orders, but you really get kind of this ominous sense that. Uh, Sidious is ready to move his final pieces into place. Yeah. I'm sure Grievous didn't expect, you know, for him to be the pretty much the last one left as far as the higher ups and the separatist army. Now like Count Dooku's gone. Yeah. I also love the music that played as he was entering Utapau and walks off the ship. Oh yeah, definitely. Choir going in there. That had a very Lord of the Rings feel to it. Yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces from this movie. The soundtrack in this movie is just phenomenal. Yeah. Shout out even to this, John Williams even once this, again. For this sequence right here, 
that's I think the track is called Anakin's Dream. It's like a great violin piece that plays mm. at this moment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The music is beautiful. The dialogue is oh. not. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the few problems in this movie. And okay. you know what? I'm sorry. It's her. She's terrible in this part. Like, she literally is telling the audience right here. She turns around, I don't want to be in this movie. <laughs> well, and here's here. Okay, here's the thing for me. I wonder if this was done in a reshoot or if her makeup is just weird or something. Because she doesn't even, like, she kind of doesn't look like herself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But, I mean, just the dialogue between both of them where he says, you're so beautiful. And she's, it's only because I'm so in love. No, it's because I'm so in love with you. Like, it's just, uh. it's, it's, it's up there with some of the cringiest you know, oh, scenes and dialogue scary. from the whole, you know, whether this movie, last movie, like all of the prequels or all of Star Wars in general. Um, so I was going to ask you guys, what's worse, this or the sand bit in Attack of the Clones? Well, this. Well, <laughs> this one thousand times. Are you kidding me? It's not even close. Okay, see, here's the thing. Dialogue-wise, I think this is worse. I probably talked about it on the Attack of the Clones episode, too. I think the problem with the sand line, it's not... Like the dialogue itself isn't great, but the th the part I hate about that scene is the logical jump that he would say yeah, that, and then she would that. immediately be okay with him kissing her. Like that is not a good pickup line. That is not romantic or flirtatious or anything. Like how did we get from point A of him complaining about sand to point B of them making out on the beach? Like you know, <laughs> like try harder, dude. Come on. This is another big thing in Revenge of the Sith that we were seeing in a Star Wars movie for the first time. Visually seeing, you know, a Force dream or a Force vision. We never saw that before. It's always, you know, you see like Luke say he's like senses Han Leia in danger and Empire Strikes Back and you hear Jedi say they sense something, but we never actually visually see it and we got that here in this movie. That's a good point. But, you know, I think it's important because especially it builds off of the stuff in episode two where he's having the visions of his mother, but we just hear that and we see mm -hmm. him experiencing it, but we don't see that ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I think that's such a pivotal part of the story in episode three. Like, I mean, I think it could have worked if they didn't show it, but I definitely don't feel like, Oh, it's too much or we didn't need to see that. I think it really enhances oh, definitely. Anakin's motivation. Yep. And I will say as we were <laughs> kind of bagging all that one sequence with Anakin and Padme, this one is pretty much the opposite of that. Yeah, I would I agree. Know. I would agree. Yeah, I this was a she, lot better. I love that she has her makeup on still in bed. <laughs> sorry, I, it, it's pet peeve. I'm sorry, I, or you not pet peeve? It's I'm nitpicking, but like this is like the like again that aside, this is a nice little scene. I like the fact that he's tor you know he's being tormented by his visions like his mom, mm -hmm. and again we're playing back. I love this performance right here. You die in childbirth. Like this is great. Like he, it, it, it's great. Yeah, and just. I remember seeing it for the first time. They're referring to the baby and what like what happens to the baby. It's they're talking about Luke right there. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. growing up as the fans of the original trilogy, wondering what Anakin or what Luke and Leia's parents were like. I mean, we're seeing it right here, talking about <laughs> what their plans were um, for them at the time. Here, just you know, as a Star Wars fan, getting to see this for the first time it is such a really cool moment is hearing him referring to characters we already know but you know <laughs> we know what their storyline is but they're trying to figure it out right here now mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. it's funny because like already having all the foreknowledge of everything that happens in the original trilogy like we know luke and leia are twins and every time they talk about like oh the baby and what are we going to do with the baby we're like well 
there's two of them, but I guess they don't know that yet. And then at the end, when the droid is like, oh, she's carrying twins, and it's almost like a big surprise. It's like, well, duh. Oh, yeah, they didn't know that yet. <laughs> okay, so this scene is a very underrated scene, in my opinion, for developing Anakin's uh, fall to the dark side. Yeah. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it's not, subtle is not the right word, but it's not, it's not obvious enough for a, a casual viewer to be like, okay, I don't get it, blah, blah, blah. Because here's the thing. And I, I, I read this as on a review that I really totally got and loved. The fact that Anakin goes to Yoda right here, basically spilling his guts out to a mentor, someone who's, what, the highest ranking person in the Jedi Order. And what does he tell him? You should just be stoked you're going to die. Like, yeah. you know, whatever, like give up everything you want to lose, you know, everything you fear to lose and you're going to be just fine. Go ahead and get out of here. Yeah. Like he basically tells Anakin nothing and he doesn't help him. And I think it actually only uh, extend or um, what's the word? He only magnifies the problem that the Jedi have that Yoda's yep. hubris is too wrapped up. And isn't trying to help him from a compassionate standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love it that Lucas has given it to us, but not so obvious. I love that. Yeah, I well, love it. And also the fact that, you know, Yoda probably, again, in his kind of complacency, like, doesn't realize. I mean, you would think given the context from the Clone Wars and stuff and like how how well he knows Anakin, maybe he suspects that he's talking about Padme. But like if he realized how much padme really meant to anakin and the depth of their relationship then maybe he would be like hey maybe we should do something about this because if he loses her like they know that he's prone to you know anger and emotion and stuff um but the way that anakin phrases it like it's like you said he's kind of spilling his guts but he's spilling his guts as much as he possibly can to yoda without giving things away that are going to get him in trouble because he's gone against the jedi code and you know, for all he knows, heck, especially again, now that we have that that backstory in that context of the Clone Wars and seeing what they did to Ahsoka and just straight kicked her out, you know, like he's like, well, I, I can't trust him with everything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if he had been able to tell him the whole truth, you know, Yoda might have been able to help him a little bit more, but he also might have just gone ahead and kicked him out of the Jedi Order for, you know, bet- betraying his vows. And so he's he's playing it very close to the chest. Um, and I think obviously, like you're saying, that's that scene right there definitely was pivotal in sort of planting those seeds of doubt. And it's not like he went to the dark side because of that. And Yoda certainly isn't like coming down hard on him, like being judgmental or anything like that. But it's like, he's like, Hey, I can't tell you everything, but I have this problem and I need your help with it. And then Yoda gives him that advice and he's like, okay, that doesn't help. And so I'm going to have to try to seek answers elsewhere. And that's where Palpatine starts really getting him twisted around his finger. And I do like, too, that it shows that, you know, Anakin did try to yes. do things the right way exactly. to seek help from the Jedi instead of, you know, immediately thinking they wouldn't help him when he goes to Palpatine or whatnot. He, it just adds to, you know, him wanting to do what's right, but yet in the end, it doesn't. And when he says, the Jedi betray me, you really understand why he feels that way when the dark side really starts corrupting him and to a point he's kind of right and then you know so then we had the scene where he goes to palpatine and palpatine says i'm appointing you to be my representative on the jedi council and now we're at the scene with you know mace windu telling him you do not we do not grant you the rank of master and take a seat and all that um and so kind of two juxtaposing scenes because we're seeing 
kind of all these things that are breaking down Anakin's faith in the Jedi. One is Yoda's inability to help him. And that's coming from, you know, that's not even like Yoda trying to, again, talk down to him or anything like that. It's like Yoda well, doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. Right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, same. But then now in a different scenario, we have him really kind of bringing up more of like the anger and the frustration and feeling like they don't trust me. Um, and they're denying me things and holding me back. And that's just further fueling that anger and frustration. Yep. Well, and, it, and, you, and Palpatine had to know that. Too. Oh yeah. <laughs> when... Right. Well, and think of this too, is the fact that we have that Yoda scene where he's basically like, just let go of everything, homie. Just don't even worry about it. Like just do your, you know, just forget everything you ever cared about and just be a Jedi. The exact opposite of what Anakin wants. Like you, you know, we were all talking about, then he comes here and they're like, you're not a Jedi master. Sit down, young Skywalker. It's like, again, it's not like this obvious thing about for uh, for Anakin to hate the Jedi Council, but it's just to me, I I, I like it. It works for me, and mm-hmm. I don't. I it, his his turn on the Jedi Council is it's it's maybe not. It's, it could be a little bit better, but it still works for me in the context of this film. Um, also, to kind of further my point about Star Wars on steroids, instead of having the council all there, you have them all there, but some are in hologram form. How <laughs> yeah. Star Wars is that? Yeah, well, Star- and it totally Star- makes sense because they're still in the middle of waging this massive war, and exactly. some of them are off on different battlefronts and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, I remember um, hearing, too, and I still hear sometimes whenever Revenge of the Sith comes up amongst fans that Anakin turned to the dark side a little too quickly in the film. And I don't know, I just can't, I, I don't buy that argument because nope. when you look at it, just all the stress that Anakin had to deal with and all that was put upon him all at once, he comes back, he finds out Padme's pregnant, he has the dream that she's going to die, he finds out that he's going to be on the Jedi Council, but they don't grant him the rake of master. Then Obi-Wan asks Anakin to spy on Palpatine, <laughs> and so it's just, Imagine what was going on in Anakin's head right now. It is everything he had to deal with. And this all came crashing to a halt once we get to that turning point moment in the film. So it just, I think Lucas did a good job of establishing as far as everything Anakin had to deal with from, you know, an emotional standpoint to his duty as a Jedi, the war that was going on. It just, it could definitely see, you know, for me anyway, as I watch it, just, once, you know, that moment happens and he decides to turn to the dark side, it makes sense. I could yeah. get up on a soapbox and preach endlessly on people saying, that, oh, Anakin turns to the dark side too quickly. Because turning to the dark side, like, it's not a gradual thing. It's not like you do one too many bad things or you kill one too many people and then suddenly you're a Sith. What it, all, what it all boils down to is he makes a choice. and. Yeah. It's not even a choice to turn to the dark side or to join Palpatine. It's a choice to save his wife and the lengths mm-hmm. that he's willing to go to, to, to do that. And obviously, yeah, he joins the dark side. He becomes a Sith. He ends up doing some really evil and terrible things, but all of that is because Palpatine promised him the power to save Padme. And that's ultimately what drives him in this movie until he turns to the dark side and goes so far down that his mind gets twisted. And then at the end, you know, he ends up choking her and just wants power for himself and to rule the galaxy. And that's the tragedy of it all that he brings about the very thing that he was so afraid of happening in the first place. So with, with this scene in particular, I love what Lucas does he basically sets up even more potential like 
uh, I don't want to say back backstory, but basically kind of insinuates and doesn't say it outright that maybe it's not all what we seem. Not everything is what it seems with with Anakin and and the prophecy. Mm -hmm. And how much does Yoda actually know? Because a prophecy that misread may have been. And what's so fascinating is the way he says that. Mm. And Frank Oz's performance and the CGI performance too. I gotta hand it to the animators. Oh CGI yeah, looks incredible still. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that Lucas sets up the fact that yeah, obviously it doesn't end the way that they think it does. And Yoda already kind of knows that. So how does he kind of already hint at that? You know, get at that. Well, we got the Force priestesses. That happened in episode or a season six of the Clone Wars. How much has he gone into his training, and how much is he really uh, yeah. kind of foreshadowing <laughs> into what we're, you know, what's going to happen? Because we already know that he there's another Skywalker. He knows kind of what's going to happen to an extent, mm-hmm. and maybe when and when again when when Anakin visits uh, Anakin visits Yoda. In the thing, Yoda kind of already knows what's going to happen. Maybe he thinks he can stop it by telling Anakin, just give it up, man. But it, again, this movie gets so, it's just so good. That part is just so good. I, I talk about it for hours, obviously. Yeah. And now we have one of the best scenes in Star Wars, well, in my opinion. Before we get to this one, yeah. I just wanted to jump back to the previous scene real quick that we kind of skipped over yeah. where Anakin was talking to Padme. And I just like how that kind of further added to what you were talking about, Tim, about how Anakin has all this stuff thrown on him all at once. Um, after coming back to Coruscant and he's just being pulled in so many different directions between the Jedi and the council and Palpatine. And then he goes to Padme. And I mean, obviously he's, he's trying to stay true to what he knows at this point through all of this, like the Jedi and the Republic, that's my duty. And now Padme's even telling him like, maybe the Republic is, maybe they're not the good guys. And yeah. he's like, how can you say that? Like you, you and the Republic and Palpatine, like that's my rock. Like that's what I'm loyal to. And it's just adding to the different directions that he's being pulled in. And he's like, you know, no wonder Palpatine is able to just swoop in and convince him and, you know, influence him in the direction he wants him to go. Totally. And this is where he gets his hook, line and sinker in this Mm -hmm. scene right here, man. (laughs) I just love how Ian McDermott again, he goes into emperor mode, just for one line of diet or bit of dialogue, he just goes, leave us. Yeah. <laughs> this is total Palpatine from Return of the Jedi there. Yeah. Man, just the visuals of this scene are so fantastic yeah. as they're sitting watching this. I mean, I know they call it the opera scene, but whatever it is that's going on, this it's like some floating aquatic ballet or something like that. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing the concept art of the Mon Calamari dancers for that. And <laughs> I was like, I remember people freaking out, oh, are we gonna actually going to see this on screen? This is going to be so silly. But, you know, it's all in the background. Like you said, it just adds to the mood and the atmosphere of this great sequence that Palpatine and Anakin have together. Yeah, this and music. it fits so perfectly. Now, what I want to preface what I said earlier about one of the best scenes in Star Wars. Now, I'm not including action in that. I'm just talking about a, a dialogue, kind of character moments. Mm-hmm. This is top five. Oh yeah, and I still think I still think this is one of the best scenes in Star Wars overall. But definitely dialogue wise, this is probably the best written and acted, just straight dialogue scene in all of Star mm-hmm. Wars, and definitely one of the longest. And yeah. what's, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, and also just getting more lore added to the mythology. Exactly. When he starts talking about Plagueis. I mean, mm-hmm. I just remember eating all that up when I was seeing it for the first time. Wow, this is so cool. We're learning more about Palpatine as well in this movie. And that doesn't, it never in the film really does it explicitly say that 
Plagueis was Palpatine's master. You kind of have to put it together for yourself. But yeah. I just love that about it as well. Again, he he Lucas is building backstory without having to like knock you over the head with things. Mm-hmm. And I again, this is a little more subtlety that I love Lucas is doing. And again, this is written by the same people that wrote Sand. It gets everywhere. And it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it's going it, it's it and I want people to realize that. This is why I don't people even the, the Star Wars people like the Kristen Harloffs who criticize this movie and everything. It's so funny. Like I, I'm like, you guys will criticize that movie, but then you'll you'll praise probably this scene alone. It's written by the same people, you know. And it's like, whoa, better. It's it's it. Here's the thing, and it's written by the same people, but it's acted by great is great acting on screen. Ian McDermott choose up the scenery Mm -hmm. so and one thing that i'm even kind of noticing for the first time here is this is some fantastic acting by hayden christensen too just in his facial expressions as palpatine is telling him these things about how the sith and the jedi really are similar in their quest for power and everything and they're not all that different and you can see like anakin is kind of just regurgitating like the typical jedi responses like no the jedi Mm -hmm. are selfless we only think about others but like on his face you can see he really is contemplating the things that palpatine is saying it was it's kind of like Palpatine at first wanted to try just using that to get him, but once Anakin gives him that response, he's like, "Okay, time to bring out the big guns now." Yeah, <laughs> time to tell the story of Darth Plagueis. Did the Wise. you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? And this I... moment right here that kicked off the second trailer—I remember mm-hmm. getting me so excited oh, talking yeah. about the dark mm-hmm. side. <laughs> oh. And I love this facial expression right here on Ian McDermott's face as he's like taking pride in the fact that he killed his master right yeah (laughs) he gives that smirk he has such like a reminiscent look on his face like he's telling this old story but he's like oh yeah Darth Plagueis that guy he was so powerful the only thing he was afraid of was losing his power which of course he did incredible yeah such a a great ironic there that shot Uh, (laughs) mm -hmm. it's such a it's such a great acting by mcdermott he just sells the whole thing and yeah i i remember immediately just being like who's darth plagueis i want to know all about this you know Mm -hmm. i mean i and we still want the canon version of it's it's so easy just to make that canon man (laughs) such a great line there too at the very end where he just turns to Mm -hmm. him with that sinister look on his face is not from a jedi like i remember being so excited for seeing kashik for the first time but i also will say i was really disappointed for how much time we got to see the wookies in action dude you know what i don't you know what i don't think i've ever noticed that first establishing shot where they're flying over the beach, there's that Republic cruiser that's just sitting on the beach in the background, just like in Battlefront. <laughs> oh, wow. Really. Yeah, I've always been so focused on, like, the stuff flying around and the Wookiees and everything. I never noticed the giant freaking Republic cruiser sitting back there. And that <laughs> gives me even more of an appreciation for Battlefront 2. It's like, I thought they just kind of thought, oh, it would be cool if there was, like, a ship parked in the jungle. But no, they took it right out of the movie. Yeah. So another reason why this movie is Star Wars on steroids, more than one Wookiee on screen at a time. And we're talking not just two Wookiees, we're talking uh, hundreds of Wookiees. Oh, yeah. Right? 
So there's another reason for Star Wars on steroids, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, one of my, you know, one thing I wish I could go back and change about my life. I'm like, if I was born a few years older, I mean, I'm you guys know I'm six foot eight. Like, if there was a casting call that they put out for tall people to play Wookies in this film, I'm like, <laughs> man, I missed out on that. You did. Okay, time for me to geek out about the clone troopers and their phase two armor. Mm. Oh, how cool does Commander Gree look at that? <laughs> just the helmets, but I just going back to your Star Wars on steroids point, Paul, even the clone troopers and the Ugh. different colored uniforms that they have that we got in this movie. Oh, I man. love that shot. That shot's amazing. All the Wookiees. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. Star Wars on steroids, ladies and gentlemen. That's probably honestly what I love the most about the prequels is just how much it takes the previously previously established Star Wars lore and universe and setting and everything and adds so much to it that still feels like Star Wars. But you've got, I mean, just when you talk about the different alien races, seeing the Wookiee home planet, seeing all these different Wookiee warriors, seeing all these different just droids and tank designs and clone trooper armor designs and, you know, the different planets and all these different things that we see, like it feels like just the the world building and the expansion of the lore and the expansion of what we know and love about Star Wars while still making it feel like Star Wars, that's probably my favorite overall aspect of the prequel trilogy as a whole. Oh, and something right. that I've said time and again, I feel like is sorely lacking from the sequel trilogy. And this here is a real important scene too. I mean, this is literally the last time Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi will be on screen together because once he sees him again, he's Darth Vader. And the way that Anakin, you know, it's, it's ironic how their last meeting together as brothers and friends, Anakin, you know, they just have a great moment to there. Anakin admits of being like, he apologizes to Obi-Wan kind of for like all the years that he's kind of caused him trouble or stress as a Padawan. And then Obi-Wan just reassures him that, you know, you're going to be a great Jedi Knight one day. Just like, be patient. And just the way that they say goodbye, Ob Anakin says, may the force be with you. And he, he doesn't say him master either. He, he says Obi-Wan. I love that little touch about it. Just kind of showing they're talking to each other as friends and not as Jedi right here and brothers. Mm -hmm. It's just a really great scene between the two. Yeah, definitely. And then just love this shot here of the Star Destroyer taking off. And, and just all of this Clone Wars era stuff is just so great. Like the yep. Venator Star Destroyers, the the gunships, the ARC 170s, the phase two clone armor, the Jedi starfighters. I love all of this stuff. I always rave how amazing the CGI on the clone troopers are, but this is the one shot where they don't have their helmets on where it doesn't look quite right. But one out of a bunch is, you know, okay in my book. There's some sequences later on in this movie where it just looks absolutely incredible and you think it's people in costumes. Mm -hmm. And how cool is this, you know, even before the CG Clone Wars series when we had the Gendy series that led up to this movie with Revenge of the Sith and they're telling more of a story that's closer to this timeline and Cody was introduced there and even that one little sequence of seeing him in the movie and just basing it off in the micro series there was just cool to see but now that we got so much more with Cody in Clone Wars hearing that dialogue <laughs> with Obi-Wan and Cody telling him when have I ever let you down this means an iPad or a weird PlayStation 2 the thing it was the PSP back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. Uh, that joke, I heard that so much. <laughs> <laughs> it never got old, though. But yeah, you're so <laughs> right, Tim. Like, And I, I was going to bring this up at some point. Um, just 
the way that I mean, I love this movie on its own, and I think by its own merits, it still is just a great Star Wars film. But just the amount of context and backstory and additional like emotion and weight that's added to it by six seasons of the Clone Wars TV series just can't be understated. I mean, everything. And there's just so many little details. Like before it was like Commander Cody. Okay, cool. That's Obi-Wan's clone trooper, I guess. But now, like you said, all the the battles that we've seen them fight together on, you know, Ryloth and Umbara and everything else. Um, and, uh, you know, even like when, I, I think the biggest thing for me is Order 66, when we oh, see... Yeah. Uh, you know, Kiati Mundi and Ayla Sakura and and Plo Koon get killed. And it's like, those are no longer just like, oh yeah, that was that one guy that was in one shot from the Geonosis arena. Or like, oh yeah, I think that guy was on the Jedi Council. It's like, we've seen entire, you know, three episode story arcs like focused around those Jedi and gotten to spend time with them and seen them interact with Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. And, you know, now it's like, and it doesn't make it like much more pivotal to the story or anything, but just when you see them get killed, it's just that much more emotional weight. You're like, Oh man, I knew that guy. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite lines in this movie is coming up. Oh, I know which so one you're talking many, about. Yep. Yeah. And there's so <laughs> many random lines in this movie that I think are so weird, but yet so amazing. And I will, I, I will point it out here in a few minutes, but whoever's talking, I apologize in advance. <laughs> now I'm speaking curious. Speaking of Utapau, Utapau is a great planet, but in a movie that has a lot of amazing visual-looking planets, it kind of gets lower in the pecking order for me. When you're just talking about planets in the film, but it is a cool concept and seeing it play out in the film. But when you talk about you got Mustafar and you got Coruscant in the beginning, and then you got the Order 66 sequence with Felucia and Megiddo, so it's, you know, it's not a knock against it, but when you compare it up to some of the other stuff we see, it's, you know, not quite up there, but it's still a cool planet. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to start talking because I'm like, Paul's going to cut know. me off at any minute with whatever his Go surprise on. line is going to be. It's, a, it's about, it's, it's coming. About, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> here, here, here it comes. That's right. If you have warriors, I do. Re- now is the time. As we wait for it, I remember that the new droid Obi Wan has in the ship was a fan voted on color design for it. Oh, that's it? Going at StarWars.com. Yeah, that one right there. Really? I remember seeing the pictures of the ones you can choose from, and that one went out. Oh, there it is. Oh, was I wrong, Paul? No, it was. We have warriors. Now is the time. That was it. Oh, I thought it was the other one. Oh no, it's it, it's Obi Wan says, "If you have warriors, now is the time." See, I thought it was when the Utapau one said, "Are they bringing oh, additional warriors?" He, he didn't, didn't say. say. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it, that it's, it's it. Obi Wan, which is really random. It's like, "If you have warriors, now is the time." It's like, I just love how many freaking dinosaurs they have on Utapau. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so this is another Star Wars on steroids. Obi Wan rides a dinosaur lizard. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Boga, you know, I love Boga. Insert uh, Sinbad gif of the defense rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's just a great creature design. I remember being at training for my, my job. And I remember, like, being really bored and just thinking about this part of the movie of seeing it on on the trailers, like with the with the with the Boga, whatever it is. But mm. is it Bogan or Bogan? Bogan? Boga. Boga. 
Boga. That's right. That's what I thought it was Boga. But yeah, I remember just thinking about like, I can't wait to see this like in the movie. I kept thinking about that. I'm like, I just, I can't wait to see this. Dude, you described me pretty much me from the first teaser we got up until the movie's release is every day thinking about the amazing stuff we're going to see in this movie. I go, oh, we're going to get Anakin falling to the dark side. We got Darth Vader. We got Grievous. We're going to see Kashyyyk and the Wookiees. It's all these things kept popping in my head throughout the day. It just made the excitement level for it just r- ratchet up every single day. It's, it's awesome. And here is the most legendary Star Wars line of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Hello there. Uh, such a great callback to New Hope, which really we get is. another one that's even better. But I remember just had a big smile on my face on when he said that right here. Man, have you guys read the Revenge of the Sith novel? I don't yeah. read novelizations. I refuse. Oh, that's right. You only listen to audiobooks. No, 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 no. I don't even listen <laughs> to audiobooks. I am watching. <laughs> oh, okay. No, honestly, the Revenge of the Sith one, give it a shot. Like, yeah, there's some fantastic stuff in there. (laughs) Just this scene in particular, I don't know if I would say it's better in the book. I just remember, like, it's so much different because Obi-Wan fights all those droids in the room before finally taking on Grievous. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one, obviously, I feel like they kind of just had to trim it down for time. And they're like, you know what? Let's just have him fight Grievous. Yeah, I was going to say, I think they did shoot that because I remember seeing behind the scenes footage of Obi-Wan taking down battle droids. That wasn't from the opening. Like he was how he was in this scene. Man, I remember being so amped up for this lightsaber battle, just knowing Grievous was going to have four and just how visually cool that's going to see in a Star Wars movie. Four, a character has four lightsabers he's wielding. I mean, mm-hmm. this shot where he's spinning it, I mean, it looks awesome. And in the end, it wasn't, it's not the greatest lightsaber battle. No, it's not, not what no. I was hoping for, but it's fine, though. It, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And no it one, works. I mean, I just like the anticipation. I just like yeah, the anticipation exactly. and the buildup and like that yeah. opening shot of him spinning all four of them. And then just, you know, you get a few cool shots of him fighting with all four sabers before Obi-Wan quickly starts literally disarming him. Um, but Clone Wars help with this sequence because they fought each other a bunch of times. It makes sense that Obi-Wan would be able to dispense of him so yep. quickly now yeah. because of the experience he's had. I don't know if you guys ever noticed this. One thing that really bugged me in this movie is just that like two of Grievous's lightsabers have the exact same hilt as Anakin and, and oh, really? Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> I Why do never you have to point that. this stuff out to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, of all the lightsabers you guys have in this movie, you couldn't just like make two different ones? <laughs> That was the clone's entrance here. Well, not there mm-hmm. when they all get shot, but when they came down on the road. <laughs> that looks so cool. Yeah, no, just seeing like these all out like Clone Wars battles on here on Utapau and on Kashyyyk. Um, again, it's kind of amazing just like the scale of this movie and how much stuff they crammed into it. Yeah, I think we got to remember that at first I was thinking it's a kind of a disappointing lightsaber battle, but it's just one sequence of a bigger battle between Obi Wan and Grievous. You got the now, lightsaber, the chase, oh, yeah. and then. Fisticuff battle. <laughs> the, the the wheel bike here, I believe this is from Star Wars Droids, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? Really? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think the wheel bike is from Star Wars Droids cartoon. Huh. Or it's or it's like like a variation of it anyway. <laughs> I love how the clone just whacks that droid. I saw that level. too. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the background there you could see there was like a clone and a battle droid like kind of grappling with each other. Mm-hmm. It's fun picking up on all these little background details. And even it's cool seeing like I've noticed some of these before, but there's a lot of of like whether it's droid designs or vehicle designs and stuff that 
we've seen a lot more kind of front and center in the Clone Wars that are like just little background details here. And it's like, oh, that was in the Battle on Utapau, like the uh, the Octopara droid or whatever, like the big one that Anakin fights on uh, Christophsis. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a couple of those in the background. I think they were smaller than the ones on Christophsis because those were like building size, but um, there's a similar kind of design there. And then, of course, you got like the crab droids and all that kind of stuff. And Mace Windu a little late with the realization here about the yeah. plot for the Jedi. <laughs> now, now, yeah, the record, the dark side of the Force surrounds the Chancellor. It's like, you think? But they remember, they are on a Sith shrine, and it is helping cloud their 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 vision and, and, and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it all works for me. It's just it you know, funny yes. to look at it. That, honestly, honestly <laughs> for me, that's one thing that I don't really like as like a piece of of lore from like outside the movie that like, I just don't feel like that should be essential to what's going on in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, I know, especially I know. since it's something that never got produced for the clone wars. I'm like, I can I'll accept that. Like that's part of why the dark side is clouding everything. But I also have to think that it's just, it's Palpatine's power and it's the Jedi's just complacency and hubris. And the fact that they would just never expect that a Sith would be able to do that. And just the war in general, that's really distracting them and keeping their attention all focused on that where it shouldn't be. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest reason more than anything. It's the Clone Wars. Yeah. See, and I Palpatine love... here just more and more playing on Anakin's doubt yeah. and mistrust of them. Great, great performances from both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ew. pretty much all the stuff in this movie where you see either Anakin once he's already Darth Vader or when he's kind of struggling and, and wrestling with the dark side, I think Hayden Christensen pulls all that stuff off brilliantly. Like I've always said, he did a great job as like dark side Anakin. I, I love this hallway that Palpatine has mm-hmm. here in his office, mm-hmm. that mural he has of an ancient battle. And see, I don't know if that can't remember if they would, what, what they put it as canon, but part of me always hyperspace war. Like, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's <laughs> it, not a very good story. It. Awesome. It's a terrible story, but that that thing it's looks not awful in my opinion. But the hyperspace war. Yeah, I've the... read it recently. Well, not recently. So <laughs> the artwork is. Woo! <laughs> woo! I mean, I love Tales of the Jedi, but the Golden Age of the Sith, that's the hyperspace war, right? Or is that my thing of something else? No, you're thinking of the uh, the one I'm thinking of is you know the Jedi with the lightsaber packs. They had like that battery pack that they had connected. Oh to yeah, their... that's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> oh god, awful. Tim, reread it, man. You'll be like, ooh, that's rough. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't now. Just hang on to the good memories. Yeah, I have. <laughs> that's that's Golden Age of the Sith. I'm pretty sure it's the same as the Golden Age of the Sith. It's woo, but I do. But that mural looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I just love how this scene, like Palpatine, is he he finally has enough confidence in Anakin's trust in him and Anakin's distrust of the Jedi council to just basically be like, Hey, Jedi Knight, I'm a Sith Lord. Like, but I have the power to save your wife. So I know you're not going to kill me and it works. Yeah. And again, I just like how Lucas didn't immediately have Anakin go to that and immediately say, okay, yeah, I'll do it. He is still trying to do Mm -hmm. good here and turn him over. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 And in the end, it is the Jedi who betrayed him, who were, or at least betrayed what he believed and Mace wanting to kill Palpatine and not take him in. Yeah. 
And well, I'll bring it up when we get there. Um, I think I talked about on an, one of our earlier episodes, um, the, the series of videos on YouTube called Cinema Wins where they go through all these movies and, you know, basically just point out like all the stuff that they do well. And a lot of times it's like kind of underrated things or things that people might not have noticed. Um, mm-hmm. The one for The Last Jedi is phenomenal and I highly recommend you check that out. But also the one for Revenge of the Sith is really good. Um, and he makes a he makes a really good point that I'll point out once we get to the uh, the scene with the confrontation with Palpatine and Mace Windu. Yeah, now we're getting to the last bit of the sequence of Obi-Wan versus Grievous, and now we're in the chase. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, see, I love all this stuff. And it's funny, as we were talking about with the lightsaber duel that they had, that was my most anticipated thing about Revenge of the Sith, as far as action sequence goes, after Obi-Wan and Anakin's big fight, and that it ended up being kind of the weaker one when you compare it to the three sequences of Obi-Wan versus Grievous, when you got the chase, and then what's coming up right here, where they just, you know, have an all-out fist brawl <laughs> with each other, but... This I have to stuff. Yeah, I have to say, I love the idea of seeing uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi from, or thinking about episode four, five, and six, yep. you know, uh, Obi-Wan Ghost, and this is what he was doing before. I just, mm-hmm. th- like, this is just perfect, yeah. and it's and, just, oh, yeah, so and good. When Especially Luke when says, he says lines like, I, in my experience, there's no such thing as love. <laughs> yeah. Right, and he's, like, just all over the place. Yeah. Or, but also when Luke says, you know, you fought in the Clone Wars, and it's like, yeah, this is what he was doing. <laughs> oh, and it was so good. Oh. Further proof that Obi-Wan is one of the best characters. I hate this part, though. Why All would right. Grievous just stand there and let him do that? Uh. <laughs> I, I, one of, that is a nitpick. Where I, I, it's really hard for me to just like think that Grievous would stand there and let Obi-Wan bend it open. It's like, come on. Yeah, maybe he caught him off guard. Nitpick, nitpick, nitpick. Uh, thank you to the Force. Being <laughs> so able to pull that blaster when he needs it. And I just seen Obi-Wan with a blaster looks weird and strange. <laughs> and I know he hates using it. And that's why I love that bit of dialogue that's coming up here where he just says, so uncivilized. And I'm still amazed that they're, that line's not appreciated as much as it is. Because I don't think not everyone connects it to what he says in A New Hope about describing the lightsaber to Luke. But when I started for the first time, I just started laughing in a good way. Like, oh, that's awesome you put that in there, George. Yeah, <laughs> just a little chuckle callback. of recognition. Yeah. Like, you have an elegant weapon for a more civilized age, and then you have this thing, which is so uncivilized. Exactly. I love it. Some of the overdubs on this one are pretty rough, I will say as well. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Where he's like, no. Mm-hmm. And then, and, then, and then Anna can even say, I must go, Master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't look right. It's like... Mm. Uh. And it's part of me just can't help but think, what if? And I think I talked about this before, about the Star Wars um, Infinity comics that tell you, like, stories about what if the situation happened differently. And just when Mace Windu tells Anakin here, wait here. You know, if what you say is true, you have to burn my trust. If Anakin just waited and Oh, Mace Windu did kill Palpatine. Would you know that still set Anakin off to the dark side? He wouldn't have Palpatine there as his master. But just what would have happened if Anakin did stay put? I mean, I wish those they did those Infinity comics for the prequels. I don't think they did, but I would have loved to <laughs> have those different type of scenarios because they were pretty fun to read when the ones they did for the original trilogy. And if they were to do one for Revenge of the Sith, I think this would be what they'd have to focus the plot around. What if Anakin 
did stay put when Mace Windu toppled too. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, especially with the seeds that Palpatine has planted in his head now of the idea that, you know, the dark side could hold the power that you need to save your wife. I have to think he would have still tried to explore that avenue because what's the mm. alternative? He's not going to yeah. just let her die. And but, even but, if, and I've seen like a, a meme going around or like a fan theory or whatever saying that like, oh, Mace Windu, you know, or it's like that heartbroken feeling when you realize that Mace Windu sent Anakin to wait in the council chambers because he was going to make him a master when he came back for like uncovering that Palpatine was the Sith Lord. It was like, even if they did make him a Jedi master, Anakin probably still wouldn't feel comfortable enough to be like, oh, okay, cool. So like now that I'm a master, I've got a wife. Hope you guys are cool with that and uh, need your help to save her from (laughs) dying. You know, like he still would have had to do something about that. He's definitely not the type to just sit around and be like, oh, well, I'm a Jedi master now. Sorry, Padme. I can't try to save you. Well, and and, and really fast, Tim, with with this, you got to realize, too, when he tries to save, you know, the only way to save his wife, the only person that really cares about him because the, the people he thought cared about him when he went to go with them for guidance, they just said, Oh, just give up everything you ever cared yeah. about. It doesn't make any sense. So of course they had to turn on them. So again, I like the reasons why Obi-Wan or excuse me, Obi-Wan Anakin turns to the dark side in this movie. For me, it works. And I know, mm-hmm. I do know in the novelization there is there. Uh, one of the things that he wanted to be a master uh, is so we could get access to some of the Jedi archives as being a master, so we can learn about mm-hmm. trying to save Padme. Now that would that would have been nice to add in this movie. Not gonna lie, I have heard that's a, that's a great explanation. But at the same time, I'm I'm fine with what we're given here, for the most part. Yeah. Now I will say the book adds even more to like Anakin's motivation and just his sort of internal mindset throughout the entire movie. I specifically remember, like, I haven't read the book since probably the year the movie came out, but I specifically remember there being chapters that started with the words like, this is how it feels to be Anakin Skywalker in this moment, or this is what it's like to be Anakin Skywalker. And so it really is, you get so much inside his head. Also, the book does this scene so much better. Yep. As far as the way Palpatine takes out the Jedi, um, you know, it's not like, oh, he's got a lightsaber and then he flies up and spins and then he stands there and the Jedi are just like, what? And OK, we'll just let him kill us real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is one of my nitpicks out of the whole movie. It just the Jedi just seeming standing there. Yeah, it's not it's not the greatest fight scene. Even when him and Mace go up against each other, it's not great. I remember George the second time trying to say Mace Windu is going to have an amazing fight scene in this movie, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, you could tell Samuel's super into it. Look at him. He's like, you could tell he's all about yeah. it. But yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not it, super great either. Lucas really wanted Ian McDermott to do most of the fights in the sequence here too. So, which is probably why they had to hold back a little bit. Yeah. And before we get too further away from it, I just got to say, I love that sequence of just Anakin and Padme staring outside kind of into each other. And just, to me, it really sells of the, hard choice that Anakin had to make right then and there. I just mm-hmm. thought of no dialogue, great music. Well, there has that little bit of dialogue of Palpatine's voice in Anakin's head, but it just all worked so well of seeing how hard it was for Anakin to face. do what he's about to do. Yeah, and I mean, that's the moment where he chooses pa- uh, Padme over the Jedi. Yeah. And again, why wouldn't you cho- Why would you, you would choose your soulmate over a bunch of uh, people you work with who are like, just forget your wife. Yeah. 
that moment where the lightsaber just breaks that window oh, it looks so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I, shot. Another great thing that I again it's obvious here, but I'm just gonna say it is the fact that you know Mace is outmatched the Emperor. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. Let's just ask each other. Do you oh, think Palpatine no. let him? I firmly believe Palpatine let him. You're run. a truther. You're one of those. <laughs> yep. You're one of those. <laughs> No, I don't know, mouth. because we also, I mean, Mace Windu's a powerful Jedi Master, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, Mace beat him. He no, I think Anakin, Palpatine knew Anakin needed to see this to make him fully turn against the Jedi, and he had to make sure that Mace got the upper hand on him. Agree to disagree. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can see it both ways. Um I mean, I it, it definitely seems like something Palpatine would do, but I also don't want to kind of uh sell mace short on his i mean basically being like the second most powerful jedi after yoda yeah i don't know because palpatine just goes on full theatrics here in this moment i think that's all just part of his ploy and play to really get anakin to turn here now, i remember this i was talking to some old school like original trilogy fans who they weren't too happy about palpatine this is how palpatine got his look in return of the jedi because they always thought it was just him really using the dark side that corrupted him and you know disfigured his face. But I don't know. I kind of like this way too. It's him kind of making that sacrifice for Anakin to turn to the dark to the dark side and to make him look as a like a pathetic old man. This is all part of his you know ploy and a way to sell it to Anakin here. I also think, in if I'm remembering right, in the book it almost hints at the fact that. And again, it doesn't straight up say this. Maybe I'm just remembering wrong, or maybe it was just kind of the way I read into it, but it almost made it – like Palpatine says something like the man – like the mask becomes the man or, or something like that. That almost mm-hmm. made it sound like this is almost like his true self because he's already been so corrupted by the dark side and he was kind of like putting yeah, on a true. face for the Senate and this is the moment where he kind of just lets it all go and he's like, I'm a Sith Lord and I don't care who knows. Like he's putting all his chips on the table with Andy. Yeah. I mean, you could debate either way. And to be honest, if I'm being 100% truthful, I'm fine with it either way. But and to me, I think Mace did legitimately beat him. And I think that he knew the only way, Palpatine knew, the only way he was going to ever overthrow the Jedi was he couldn't do it by himself. He needed Anakin on his side or a powerful Jedi on his side to defeat, you know, it, it, that was the moment right there. I think he put everything in on, on the line yeah mm-hmm. um one of the things i love about again it's this movie is that again star wars on steroids i'm gonna keep repeating this is that we get even more origins of the emperor like we see the origin of the emperor right before our eyes and it makes sense like oh i always thought that the dark side corrupted uh palpatine and i kind of thought that that maybe that when mace was was fighting him at the very end with the, with the uh, Sith lightning that maybe that some of that decay was starting to come through that he was hiding. But mm-hmm. either way, if he was deformed by Mace Windu and I just thinking about that, it's like, that's so cool. I love that continuity, you know, yeah. again, coming from the comic book realm that me and Tim kind of go through that stuff goes a long way. And I, and, and George knew how to balance it. I thought pretty well, I know people criticize a lot of stuff in episode one, like three PO being created by this Anakin, et cetera. But, uh, I love this part right here. 
the force is strong with you. <laughs> um, I, I was already getting again, a little creeped out as far as how low and amazing cranked up the bass for what he said that. I was like, you're just like he felt the dark side in the audio yeah. there. Yeah, it's but really cool. to finish up really fast. Uh, I just I think it's really cool that instead of being like corrupted by the dark side, there is some of that there in Number Return of the Jedi. But that's all because of Mace Windu. Again, mm-hmm. cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Or even if, you know, regardless of like whether you want to say, oh, it was he did it to himself or Mace Windu did it to him. Like we know the moment it happened and, exactly you know, being able to tie that into the backstory again, just going back to that idea of Anakin, like turning to the dark side, you know, and it being too quick or whatever. Like I just I love that scene where once he throws Mace Windu out the window and once, you know, and Anakin has cut his hand off like he's made his choice. And he realizes, like, Palpatine is all he has at this point. And when he bows to him, and for, I mean, first of all, he says, you know, what have I done? Like, there's still some regret and remorse there. Like, he maybe isn't even fully on the dark side yet. But again, at the same time, he's made his choice to align with Palpatine because he's promised to save Padme's life. And he's like, all right, this is the path I'm on now. Like, help me do what you said you could do. And when he tells him, like, you know, now every Jedi is an enemy of the Republic, go to the temple, wipe them all out. And that's the only way that you'll gain the dark side power that you need to save Padme. It's not like Anakin is suddenly like, well, I'm evil, evil enough to go kill kids. Like, I'm just a murdering psychopath now. It's like he has a motivation for all of it. Mm -hmm. And I just like, too, how you saw it was still a struggle for him at that point. You saw the look at his face when Palpatine was talking was like. Kind of like he knows he's doing something wrong here, but like you said, Kyle, this is the path he's chosen. Padme is all that matters to him, and he even tells Palpatine that you know, just just tell me how to save Padme. Like, like I can't live without her. So even though he knows he's kind of you know making the deal with the devil here, his path is set, and in his mind, that's all that matters. As long as he has Padme, that's you know his life. That's all he needs in his life. So that's why he's doing it. But again, this. Uh, I mean, people can say what they want, but and we'll say about this more probably in the end. The way Lucas told the story of Anakin and Darth Vader to me, it's just so well done. And I think beautifully told, in, in a tra- you know, because it's tragic. But then as we'll get to Return of the Jedi with the redemption aspect of it. It's just such a great story. And just why Star Wars is the best, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so well, great. And I, I will say I, I don't, the performance in line of just help me save Padme's life. I, it, it, I can't live without her. Like that, that's pretty rough. Well, I mean, admittedly, that's one of the weaker performances in lines and that people will hone in on mm. in this movie. But if you hone on all the other great stuff that ha- uh, Hayden does, it overlooks it completely, in my opinion. Because let's face it, every movie, I, well, not every movie, but a lot of movies I watched that I love the actor in has a line or two that's not the greatest delivery or whatever. Hit, granted, this one's pretty bad and it admittedly is not great, but yes, but. As okay, sorry, is, I, can, I just got to jump in on this scene right here with Anakin yeah. and the 501st marching yes. to the Jedi Temple. Yes. How cool <laughs> is that? But also how tragic is it now that we've seen the Clone Wars and seen the 501st in action? And like now we know with I mean, even though we haven't seen the Siege of Mandalore episodes yet, we know from like that panel at Celebration a couple years ago when Dave Filoni kind of outlined what was going to happen talking about um, Anakin or yeah, Anakin leaving like Rex and like half of the 501st with Ahsoka on Mandalore. So we know that Rex isn't in there killing Jedi with him, but still like who who like of the clones that we know like is jesse or kicks or any of those guys in there like we know commander apo is in there and like we've seen him on umbara and it's just like this is where we get to the part where you know when the clones turn against the jedi this is where um 
just having that that background and that context of the Clone Wars and seeing everything that they've been through together just makes this so much more of an emotional gut punch. Yeah, this is this Order sixty six sequence here is one of my favorites in Star Wars, and it sucks because you know it's a tragic sequence. Even before we got all the backstory with the clone troopers in Clone Wars, you just knew that the Jedi had trusted these troopers and they were once good guys and just on a you know on a whim, I don't want to say whim, like they just did it, you know, they were unknowingly do it because of what we learned later on, but just the fact that they turned on him here, you know, they were good and now they're becoming bad guys. And just, man, I just love the sequence. It was played, directed beautifully by Lucas, the music. Oh man. Anakin's betrayal might be my favorite track on the revenge of the Sith soundtrack. It just makes the sequence so moving and emotional that takes the movie as a whole to another level. I just remember, man, Lucas did something really special in this sequence. Adding, he's he built episode three up as being a dark, tragic movie, and this scene is a big reason why that is. It's just seeing the clone troopers, that the Jedi's trusted soldiers, and sometimes friends mowing them down. As we're looking at Felucia right now, I remember the episode, uh, the two-part arc, Jedi Crash, where Ayla Sakura saves, you know, the clone troopers' life. I'm blanking on his name right now. Commander Bly. There you go. Okay, thanks, Scott. I mean, she saved his life, and now he's mowing her down right here. It's just it's so tragic. Mowing her down. Look at that. I think I it's mean, funny. Yeah. They're just blasting her. She's down, and they keep firing at her. Mm-hmm. Can I... So if I may interject for a moment, one of the things I think is really fascinating about uh, Revenge of the Sith is the fact that it does do a lot of unconventional Star Wars things that we don't care that Lucas does in this movie. Like, for instance, a montage, if you will, yeah. that we're getting. And no one cared. No, because it's so if, well done. <laughs> yes, because if you do that now, or in, in like the saga films or whatever, everyone would probably, probably freak out, probably rightfully so, because they couldn't do it as good as Lucas. But anyway, my point is, remains still, is that people didn't care because it's done so well, and we just accepted it because it's great. So yeah. well, and I, it's it's a different but, kind of thing too because it's not like a training montage or like a montage that's well, showing right. a passage of it's, time. It's a montage it's showing a montage. like all these things going on at the same time. And right. you know, Still if we if we had just seen Commander, Co- well, I'm just saying, I feel like it was in the, like it was almost a necessity. Like if we just saw Commander Cody true, fire true. on Obi Wan yeah, yeah. and then you had some dialogue saying that you know, okay, all the other Jedi are dead, we'd be like, wait, what? What happened? Like I feel like you really have to see that to feel the impact of it. No, you're absolutely right. But I guess what I'm saying is that Revenge of the Sith is a very unconventional saga film for its time. Of before this, the I think the sequel trilogy. So because of that reason, I just I just again it starts really pushing the Star Wars um, film and what you can do for it in a different in different things further than even uh, the Phantom Menace, which still did a lot, and Attack of the Clones did too. But I feel like Revenge of the Sith really pushes it even further. Again, Star Wars on steroids. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people are throwing things at their radio of me saying that, but you know what? <laughs> I don't care. But then, of course, we just had that that tragic moment of Anakin, you know, in the room with the younglings and igniting the lightsaber. And even that was just so so That's beautifully dark. and like minifully, yeah. m- minimally done. Because obviously, I think the movie would have been a little too dark if you actually showed him like killing little five year olds. But just, you know, and you can even see the look on his face that's like. It's like, I don't want to do this, but this is the path I'm on now. Yeah, like, it takes a deep breath before he ignites it. Yeah, <laughs> and then I'm just him igniting this. the lightsaber, and you see the kids kind of recoil a little bit. And it's like, we don't need to see what happens. We know what happens. And it's just so 
so you know, just dark and heartbreaking, and especially, again, given the context of the Clone Wars, when they make Anakin arguably even more, well, I don't even think arguably, I think most of us would agree, Anakin is even more likable mm-hmm. and more of an interesting character in the Clone Wars animated series than he is in the movies. And having that backstory, and like just spending the time that we spent with the character and seeing him train Ahsoka, seeing him go on, on, on adventures with Obi-Wan and just be this heroic leader on the battlefield, um and reduced to this point where he's so torn and so broken and so desperate that he's willing to kill the children of, you know, the order that he once believed so much in just to save his wife that, you know, he feels like the Jedi don't care about or won't help him with. Yeah. Just man, how amazing those clone troopers look in that sequence there. (laughs) That's the Mm -hmm. shots where I'm thinking you can't tell they're CG. They just look amazing. And as we're talking about the tragedy of episode three and Anakin, this is downfall. I'm going to go back to the clones for a second and how it's a tragedy for them. And yeah, they're doing like the awful stuff of killing the Jedi, but they didn't know that, that they were going to be doing this horrible stuff to them and to their friends, their mentors. And when you watch the clone wars and just see the relationship, the different clone troopers had within themselves and the Jedi that they work with. And the fact that they had no say whatsoever and no choice in this moment right here. It was all programmed because of Palpatine. It's a tragedy for them, too, because we know they all displayed their own unique individual qualities while some just think, oh, they're all clones. You know, they're probably, you know, not mindless, but they all think of the same mind. And, you know, they're not, you can't qualify them as much as living beings as other, like, normal creatures and beings in the galaxy because they're clones. But we know that's not the case when watching Clone Wars. And the fact that they had no say, and they were just used as puppets in Palpatine's grand plan to bring about the fall of the Jedi and the Republic. It's just, it's a tragic story on their end, too, and I've said this before, too. It's why that whole aspect of the clone and their, the clones and their story is one of my favorites of Star Wars, too, because, unfortunately, not all of them had happy endings. We know that Rex, Wolf, and Gregor survived long enough to continue on the fight for good, but probably wasn't the case for most of the clones here. And it's just sad when you think about that is everything they've been through and were created for as we watch the clone wars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like to see a story with like a clone like Cody that, or even a clone that actually killed their Jedi in order 66 and see like what life was like for them afterwards. Like, Mm. did they still think about that? Did they, I mean, after that moment triggered and they, they, you know, turned on the Jedi just because of, like, the chip implanted in them? Like, did they feel bad about it afterwards, or did that kind of just, like, permanently change their mindset? Um, Because I will say, like, initially, I thought that storyline was a little hokey, that they felt like they needed to explain that by having, like, oh, there's, like, chips in all their brains. Because the way they explained it in Episode 2, saying, like, that they've been genetically modified to be, you know, more free-thinking than battle droids, but still ultimately loyal to the Republic, and they're obedient, and they'll obey, they'll obey every order, and their ultimate loyalty is to the Republic. And so as much as they might fight alongside the Jedi as comrades on the battlefield, the Jedi serve the Republic, but they're not the Republic. And so when the Chancellor of the Republic calls you and says, the Jedi are traitors, execute them, it made sense to me that they would do that without question. Um save for maybe a few clones like Rex or something that, you know, that you would maybe have a hard time seeing them uh, go along with that. And so then when they came up with that idea that, uh, you know, that they all had chips that made them do that, like without question, like they had no choice at first I was like, eh, but then like you were saying, I actually kind of like it more now because now it makes the clones into even more tragic figures. Like when you Mm -hmm. see Cody fire on Obi-Wan, it's like, 
for all we know, he didn't actually even want to do that. Like he just did exactly. it because the programming clicked in. But now I want to see like, okay, well, what was the aftermath of that? Um, and how would he have dealt with that? So, so the background of this Coruscant night is so good. I love the backdrop of this. Mm -hmm. I think it looks phenomenal yep. still. Yeah. I mean, you really can't tell that it's blue screen. So I good. Mean, this is it, this this came out in two thousand what four or five 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 yeah. I mean, think it's incredible. Yeah, like, just wait till we get to Mustafar, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I do think that Coruscant might be the most impressive. Uh, planet in terms of just the visuals and the landscapes and stuff in the whole movie, just because of the amount of background detail and stuff that we have going on. And I mean, so much of the movie takes place on Coruscant and every scene that it's in, it's impressive. I don't like CGI. It's all fake. <laughs> it doesn't look real to me. <laughs> I'm curious to what R2 exactly said to 3PO right there. Cause 3PO just responds. Well, he is under a lot of stress. R2 like, R2 knows something's up. <laughs> yeah, R2 is like, help me. He's a he's gone psychotic, and Threepio's just like, well, he is under a lot of stress. Uh, help me. <laughs> I don't care any what anyone says. That's the tented four in my book. I mean, maybe it's gone through some revisions or whatnot over the course of twenty years from now into a new hope, but. I just love the idea that it's the same ship that we're seeing Bail Organa, Yoda, and Obi-Wan is the same th one we saw Darth Vader enter in Princess Leia, R2 and 3PO in A New Hope. Mm -hmm. so, the fact that I remember not too long after it came out, they were trying, not from Lucas, but just, I guess, Lucasfilm in the EU, they were trying to retcon it a bit, saying it was a different ship. It's like, why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, what purpose does that serve? It just makes for a better, better narrative when it's, you know, it's the same ship that you're familiar with from a new hope and it just adds more more to it so why would you change that so it's yeah. eu now it doesn't matter so in well, my book I, it's the same ship i do remember seeing like some side-by-side -side comparisons where like the model isn't exactly the same i think this one maybe is like longer or something and so maybe it was one of those things where it was supposed to be the tantive four and then because they didn't recreate it exactly they were like well maybe we have to just make this a different ship now because fans will nitpick over it if it doesn't look exactly the same kind of like <laughs> with um you know, there's a couple of the Jedi in here, like Eeth Koth, or not Eeth Koth. Eeth Koth is in episode two, and then in this one, there's the Jedi that goes with Mace Windu to kill the Chancellor. It's Agent Kolar, who's like yeah. another Ithorian, uh, uh, or not Ithorian, uh, Zabrak male. And then there's um, Stas Ali, who's the one that gets killed on the speeder bike in Order 66, who looks just like Adi Gallia. And it's basically, I think they're supposed to be the same characters, but they couldn't get the same actors that played them in episode two. And then with new actors, they look different enough that they're like, well, we might as well just make it a new character. Yeah, probably. Yeah, when you go down to like the production side of things, that's probably what happened. But yeah. <laughs> and we got Jeremy Bullock with speaking lines, not in the Boba Fett costume, which I always thought was a cool cameo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool when you get the little cameos from. Uh, you know, him or Ahmed Best or Anthony be Daniels in you. Out, of, out of their suit or out of their costumes or whatever. We didn't even talk about the George Lucas cameo in the Opera House. No, we don't need to. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? He got his own Clone Wars episode based off that. Yeah. I just love that, uh, what's his name, Masameda? It was like, he'll be expecting you. It's like, really? Of a, a room full of like, 
giant aliens, all these different aliens. He's going to be expecting Bail Organa <laughs> specifically there. Yeah, sure, buddy. Well, we do know. I mean, Bail Organa is a pretty influential senator. All right, I'll give it to you. Masamata is like the Smithers of the Star Wars universe. So, like, Mr. Burns is Palpatine. <laughs> He's just like the yes man. I remember but, when we first saw the shot of Mustafar, like, man, we're here already. Like, I don't want it to end, but yeah. <laughs> we know what's happening or what's just on the Just hit the, the rewind button. <laughs> yeah, Mustafar does look really great, though. And, man, this landing platform just reminds me of playing this on the original Battlefront 2. Oh, man, I want this planet so bad for <laughs> as a map on the new Battlefront. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's not, like, super high on my list just because I like to play, like, the battles on planets where they actually had, like, big battles in the movies. But just, it like, looks so cool, man. visually, yeah, it would <laughs> yeah. just look so cool as a backdrop. And I just love this here, too, where, you know, Newt Gunray's like, Welcome, Lord Vader, we've been expecting you, and Anakin just... With the hood up, face yeah. covered, you know, just starts slowly closing the doors. Ah, uh, this scene, it breaks my heart seeing it. Yoda and Obi-Wan killing clones. Like, yeah, they gotta do what they gotta do, but man, must be tearing them up inside. Killing the soldiers they fought with. Well, that look that Obi-Wan just gives is like an indication of like, I really don't want to do yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Such a great moment right here. Ugh! God, I love you, George Lucas. Why didn't you direct <laughs> episode seven, eight, nine? Why do we have to drive you away? Don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, I mean, he—it's so weird because he—he he gave up on directing those and just sold them to Disney instead because he didn't want to deal with all the backlash yep. that he dealt with with the prequel trilogy, and now there's backlash around the sequel trilogy and everybody's all nostalgic and appreciative of the prequels. Yep. So it's like, you know, you can't win sometimes. You really can't. Nope. Cause look, if George had come back to direct seven, eight, nine, you know, there would have been like, hopefully, oh, you... hopefully the movies would have been great, but even, you know, if you... they, at, at worst, his fears would have come true and people, you know, fans would have, nitpicked about things and complained and said they sucked but even if they were good there probably would have been some things that people would complain about and whatever um but then i guarantee people would be clamoring for what we're getting right now if lucas did end up doing seven eight and nine they'd be begging for the stuff we were getting right now yeah they'd be like oh we want it back to the original trilogy era and you know Mm -hmm. so and i more great editing here going back and forth between, you know, Obi-Wan and Yoda seeing the destruction of the Jedi Temple, and you, how Obi-Wan says, who could have done this? And you just go to Anakin mowing down the Separatist leaders and that music that chimes in. Then we get to Palpatine and the Senate declaring the Empire. Just, I just love the editing that Lucas did here. Yeah, such a great just juxtaposition of all these scenes. And then there we see Anakin with the yellow eyes for the first time. Uh, iconic showing, shot. Like, yeah, yeah and, well, and I think to me that's showing like this is now he's kind of reaching the point where he's not just doing this for Padme anymore. This mm-hmm. is where the anger and the lust for power is taking over. And he's like falling further towards the dark side than he kind of intended to. Well, and, and kind of talking about our earlier too about George Lucas and, you know, if he would have made a great movie, people still would have been you know brutal on it. But you know what? He did make a great movie. It's called Revenge of the Sith. And people still were like, well, I don't know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Trilogy. So you know what? For whatever. 
I I'm I'm super bummed out we didn't get a sequel trilogy from George, but I don't care. Revenge of the Sith is just uh it's just ma- master Star Wars masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And with all the Star Wars content we're getting from TV shows and films and all these different act or actors, uh directors, this movie was always going to in my opinion will hold up above all of them because it's just it's going to be hard to, to for any Star Wars film, including Rogue One or Han Solo to replace this movie for me. It's just that good. Mm-hmm. And the editing and everything, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I and I will say, I know you were kind of bagging on Padme earlier, but I really like her line where she says, you know, so this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause. Like, you just, I don't know, I feel so bad for her in that scene that like her and Bail Organa and like a few other senators are the only ones that have the common sense to realize how Palpatine is playing everybody and everybody mm-hmm. else. It's like, I mean, I get that they're tired of the war and they just want it to be over. And, you know, there's so much sort of deception and corruption and mistrust going on that they're willing to just put their faith in Palpatine. But, you know, when he just declares like, Hey, this democracy's over, we're going to be an empire now. And I'm going to be the emperor. Like just, he, he's openly telling everybody like, Hey, is it cool if I just like take over this whole thing myself and like, become a tyrant and they're all like yeah and cheering for him and she's just <laughs> like i can't believe this yeah it's like everything they were worried about and tried to fight against in the clone wars this all came crashing down and, and like i don't want to say for nothing because we know bail organic continued the fight later on with the rebels but it's like everything that they were so afraid of happened so for, for so many characters this movie is just you know, a tragedy for them. And in Padme's case, knowing how involved she was with politics and the Republic and as a Senator, that's a tragedy on her end too, where she sees the Republic crumble before her eyes. And like you said, everyone applauding it and being happy about it. Mm-hmm. Can I, I will say one of the, the weakest perform, not performances, but line deliveries from Ewan McGregor and all his trilogy. And it's disappointing. It's right there. He's just, it just, it's not as impactful as I want it to be. I know what you mean, Paul. Yeah. It, it, it's I, not bad. It's just mm-hmm. not up to like Ewan McGregor's best, which I yeah. think he does throughout this movie. And I, like, when he's like, I kind of watch it anymore. It's like, <laughs> uh, it's it, again, it's not terrible. It's just not great. And it's, it's not up to like what Ewan McGregor can. It's almost like, did they reshoot that? And he's like, I cannot say this line anymore. Uh, <laughs> but I, I will say in his defense, he's still showing that uh, like in, in this heartbreaking realization, like we saw how close he and Anakin were earlier. And we talked about that. Like when they said goodbye for the last time and his, his Padawan, his brother, his friend that he fought beside for the whole clone wars, he's watching him, murder people and still trying to hold on to that Jedi stoicism and, uh, you know, sort of emotional center of like not letting his emotions get the best of him. Cause I mean, I think the only other option in that scene for him to perform it differently would have been to just like lash out more and to be more emotional. And he's still so controlled and like letting a little bit of that show through. And obviously he's like sad and shaken up, but he's not like, God, Anakin, how could you do this? He's like, okay, what do we do about this? Like, you know, the the Jedi are more kind of like trying to control things and like, how do we fix it? And it's not till the very end of the movie where he finally like doesn't, you know, go dark side or anything, but like lets that emotion out when, you know, he does the, you were the chosen one. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that was probably an intentional choice to not have him get like too emotional about it yet because he wanted to save that for the finale. That's a good point too. When we look at it, because I was kind of on the same 
wavelength was Paul was saying. Like that was bad, but it just it felt a little off. But kind of when you look at it on that way, it doesn't make sense. Maybe the, that's what Lucas was trying to go for. Yeah, I love the music in this scene too, where he's talking to Padme and, um, you know, realizes that she's pregnant and just as Anakin is the father, isn't he? And you have to wonder what's going on in Obi Wan's head. Like, a, how long has he realized that? But I'm I'm assuming this is probably the first time he's picked up on it as he's talking to her here. And now, like, you know, at this point, she's obviously like full term pregnant and she's wearing big gowns and stuff to try to hide it. Um, but there's got to be so much that's clicking in his head right now and maybe so much that he's kicking himself for not realizing earlier. Yeah. Um, and seeing how this is all kind of led to this moment like, oh, he's been with her this whole time and she's carrying his child. And like, of course Palpatine would use this as leverage to try to twist him to the dark side. Like, okay. And now he's kind of just going off, but again, he's, he's not getting emotional about it. He's not kind of kicking himself or looking, you know, looking back on the past and wishing he could do things differently. He's like, kind of like, Oh, I see how this is. Like, I, I see what's been going on now. Okay. Time to go do what I got to do and take care of it. Yep, and he's even if that involves sneaking around and hiding <laughs> to go on the ship. Mm-hmm. Oh man, we're getting to the nitty gritty here on the movie. Even that's seen it for the first time, knowing what's coming, that big battle with lightsaber duel we've pictured in our heads for so long. It's like it's almost here. I just remember being so excited and I don't want to say nervous, but anxious is a better word just to kind of see how it's all going to play out and see mm-hmm. something that Star Wars fans have been dying to see and we're all so close. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of does make you nervous in a sense almost because even though we know how it's ultimately going to play out, even if like watching for the first time, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's still like, you know, something bad is going to happen to one of these characters that we've cared about so much. And it's like you kind of don't want to see it happen even though you want to see the way it plays out Mm. and the clone wars is officially over right here as palpatine Mm -hmm. tells anakin to tell him to shut down the droids yeah and again just thinking back on how palpatine manipulated this whole thing even earlier in the movie when he tells grievous like the end of the war is near general and uh grievous is like but the loss of count dooku and he's like oh no don't worry soon i'll have a new apprentice one you know far stronger and more powerful like he's being all reassuring to grievous and grievous has no idea that when he says the end of the war is near he means for the republic like Mm -hmm. you're gonna lose like you've just been my (laughs) puppet this whole time and my plan is almost complete and i'm not gonna need you anymore and now you know as is the case with the whole separatist he sent anakin to just wipe them all out and he's like all right shut down all the droids this is over like we don't need them anymore and this sequence right here is going to kick off pretty much you know a perfect sequence of, for the, or for the rest of the film where it's almost perfect in my book from from emotional weight to action to it just oh, i love it so much i mean as we get more into when Anakin starts talking to Padme and the way that Anakin tries to fool Padme in a way, knowing that he's not going to the dark side, Obi-Wan, the Jedi are lying. You know, he's full on into the dark side right here, but he's trying to hide it. But we're not there yet, but I just want to bring it up anyway. (laughs) Just how much I love this scene and how it mirrors not one, but now two sequences in the Star Wars saga of that temptation that 
is offered and the way Anakin does it here to Padme to rule the galaxy with him. I love how Anakin Hayden delivers that because he's saying he can overthrow the Emperor, but he kind of hesitates in saying that where he's confident he can do it, but he knows Palpatine is still probably stronger than he is right now, but that's his goal. And the like I said, the temptation to have her rule the galaxy with him. Then he we get that again with Vader doing that to Luke, rule the galaxy as father and son. And then we get it in The Last Jedi with Kylo trying to tempt Rey to join him. And just I just love, you know, Lucas says it all the time. We've said it tons of times of how it's like poetry, things rhyme. And I think those three sequences are the best examples of that. It's with in the Skywalker family that that's has happened at three major pivotal points in mm-hmm. the galaxy. So I just love how this scene plays out and how Lucas decided to do that for Anakin because we've seen it before with him doing it as Vader, but now we're seeing him like kind of doing it for the first time here. Yeah, definitely. And I also love the way that like when Anakin's telling her, um, when, you know, she's like, all I want is your love. And he says, love won't save you. Only my new powers can do that. And, uh, she's like, yeah, but at what cost? Like you're a good person. Don't do this. And he's like, no, like I won't lose you the way I lost my mother. Like now Mm. it's like that, that thing that's been driving him to save her has become like an unhealthy obsession. Like it's, it's not even about his love for her. It's almost more about his own like need for control. Yeah. Just that more craving for power. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just love like the drama and the tension here and the, the music, which is, you know, the Mm -hmm. same music that plays during order 66 um this is where hayden shines i think with some yelling and <laughs> this anger that he's showing because of obi-wan and it's really bringing on the dark side anakin i think we we're all waiting to see in the prequels and at that moment when we knew he would turn to the dark side yeah and again just seeing him choke padme and say what you want about like at the end when she dies and the medical droid says like oh she lost the will to live like i'm sure being eight and a half months pregnant in you know out in the extreme heat on a lava planet and getting your windpipe crushed like while you're being like emotionally traumatized by your husband who's become a you know mass murderer like none of that helped you know and so even though like you can say she was sad and she lost the will to live or whatever but i believe like anakin is responsible for her death and it's just like a tragic irony that he ends up causing the very thing that he went to such great lengths to try to prevent. Like that's why he's doing this in the first place. And to me, that's just great storytelling on Lucas's part. The fact that that's what made Anakin into Darth Vader. I mean, that was a big question Mm -hmm. we all had going into the prequel trilogy and what Lucas came up with and the motivation factor that Anakin had to make him to the dark side is I think turned out beautifully. I mean, I say beautifully, but it's nothing beautiful about it. The tragedy, but from a story and narrative standpoint, I think, Lucas couldn't have done a better job of showing someone who was a great hero and a good person fall to become evil. I hate that part where he's like, if you're not with me, you're against me. And it's all said without his mouth moving. It's just his head. And it's it's a weird, it's a weird, weird scene. Here we go. Oh yeah. With the beginning of the, I, I, I wouldn't say like the, the one that everybody would agree is the greatest lightsaber duel. Because I know some people think like, oh, it's just too long or it's too much with all the flying around on the cables and the lava and all that kind of stuff. But first of all, I can't I think you can't deny this is the most well choreographed fight 
Like all that stuff that you and McGregor and Hayden Christensen were doing right there, like that's them actually fighting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember watching like the behind the scenes documentaries and stuff on just like how much preparation they put into like the stunt work and wanting to, you know, do their own stunts and do all the lightsaber fighting and everything. And it's just, I mean, it, it shines through, like you said, Tim, you know, this is a, a confrontation that was like years in the making. And it's the one that everybody had been waiting to see since the original trilogy. Like how did Anakin fall to the dark side and how did, um, you know, when was the last time he saw Obi-Wan? Um, and, uh, yeah, it just, it did not disappoint. You know, one of the things that I, when I watched this movie and I was kind of anticipating was we, we had a couple like things that had come to a head. Right. And, one of the things I remember reading back when I was a kid was Lucas always talked about how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader physically, right? Mm-hmm. And how he talked about the lava planet. And I love that that was always there and that still played a part. And I always loved the idea that Lucas never wanted to, you know, go away from that. Yeah. And he had to go and he had to go there. So I, I just love that. And I love that he went there full bore that whole hell motif and really went for it. So I, I just really love the idea that that's something that came back as far as like 1977 that he talked about and it's still in revenge of the Sith now. Uh And as much as us fans were expecting that, I couldn't wait to see that battle with Anakin and Obi-Wan on a lava planet. One thing I was not expecting was a battle between Yoda and the emperor growing up. Yes. And how beautifully that plays along with Anakin and Obi-Wan's battle. I mean, this is like Star Wars perfection here, if you ask me, as far as final action sequences yep. go. It doesn't mm-hmm. get better than this, man. I was just, that, that was, yeah. The true battle of good versus evil in this movie, I mean, it's just phenomenal. Like, you're seeing the forces of good and, like, the highest forces of good and the highest forces of evil going at it in this movie. And it's just so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's like, really- it's... This, by its... Like, Yoda versus Palpatine, and... It, in a different Star Wars movie, like could be the climactic confrontation all in itself. Yeah. And the yeah, fact that this right. is almost like a subplot happening while, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan are also fighting. It's just crazy. Again, it's crazy how much George packed into this movie without yeah. it feeling too overstuffed. Like it, it feels like it's bursting at the seams, but like barely holding it all in. You know what I mean? Like so, if there was, if there was one more lightsaber duel or one more space battle or one more, you know, dramatic dialogue scene or whatever i feel like maybe this movie would be a little too long or have a little too much packed into it but as it is like i just feel like it's amazing that he did so much and like it works so one of the things that i when i was uh watching this movie and i was i love this this i this is one of my favorite parts in mm, yeah. Seth, we're just going at it and i didn't i had never thought i i never even thought they would ever fight and this was like the, the lightsaber battle that I never knew I wanted, but mm-hmm. I had to have now. And it was an incredible thing that I just, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, man, George, again, Star Wars on steroids. You get two lights, different lightsaber battles between two major players. Again, that goes back into my further thing of, of saying that why I love this movie so much. And it's just, it's just mind blowing that he, we went that direction. And one of the things this is kind of random that bugged me was that Anakin had the blue lightsaber when he went to the dark side. And I really? wish I, so I always bugged me. I wanted him to have the red one 
when he fought Obi-Wan. Now it makes more sense because he has to bleed the lightsabers we got in the canon comic books and stuff like that, which, by the way, is awesome. I think yeah. that is so cool. But um, even then, I just like the idea that Lucas didn't feel, oh, well, he's a Sith now. He has to have a red lightsaber. No, like, I agree. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it almost, I, I it makes it a little more tragic because even though we know he's Darth Vader, like, he's still, it, it's it's Anakin versus Obi-Wan. You know what yeah. I mean? And this is still, yeah. like, at least visually, like, it's the Anakin Skywalker that we've known for three movies. Like, I feel like if he had a red lightsaber, it would almost make it a little harder to, like, sympathize with him. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, now Obi-Wan's fighting the villain, you know, as opposed to, yeah, like, yeah. fighting the tragic anti-hero kind of thing. And it- and again, that history that that lightsaber has is mm-hmm. so important to me, and I love yes. that. And the fact that he has it at such a pivotal moment is great. Yeah. And well, it, actually, that's a good point, too. He has to have the lightsaber in the fight for Obi-Wan yeah, to right. have it to give to Luke yeah. later. I mean, otherwise, well, what's it, he going to do? Like, go to Anakin's room in the Jedi Temple and be like, hey, did he leave his old lightsaber in here? Because I want to give it to <laughs> his son one day. I mean, it's not that's not totally unexpected. You could have, you know, it could happen. Yeah, but- yeah. But, but, but here's my thing, though. Like, you guys make a great point, and that's why I, I, I softened on that after the second time I saw the movie. Because I was like, oh, I really wanted the red lightsaber. But it makes more sense in the context after you watch the movie. It's like, yeah, you, you nailed it. Like, it's all about having these two brothers fight. And with he had a red lightsaber, it wouldn't be, like, two people, two people who love each other going up against each other. It'd be good versus evil. And that's not necessarily what Lucas was going for completely. Yeah. So... Great also, point. I love this scene here with kind of the the um, culmination, I guess, of the Yoda Palpatine fight where he's shooting the lightning at Yoda and Yoda's blocking it. And you just kind of see the back and forth in their eyes and on their faces. Um, and it really it's kind of unfortunate because it seems like Yoda almost had Palpatine outmatched there. Like at the end, yeah. he's pushing back against him. You see the determination on Yoda's face and kind of the fear on Palpatine's face. And then that energy kind of explodes in a shockwave and Palpatine just happens to be, you know, he's in the Senate chair thing. And so he's, he just kind of stays there and Yoda's on the edge of it. And so he gets blown back and falls all the way down and just kind of chooses to retreat. Um, and so you even see like, even though Yoda says like he's failed and he has to go into exile, like I wouldn't say like, it's not easy. It's not hard to imagine Yoda defeating Palpatine like under different circumstances. Um, but it's just so cool to see like the two of them going at it, like the pretty much the two most powerful force users in the galaxy. Yeah. And it basically ends in a stalemate that's decided by, you know, who has the more advantageous standing position, I guess, which (laughs) kind of happens in the Anakin and Obi-Wan fight too. But, um, I mean, I guess it kind of, Lucas, it kind of had That's to happen that way because one of them can't kill the other because they're both in the original trilogy. Yeah. But. but the fact that Lucas decided to put their battle in the Senate chamber, man, brilliant. Just mm-hmm, visually, yeah. it looks cool just seeing him throw those pods out there. But even from like a narrative standpoint, too, where like it's almost like Yoda represents the last stand of the Republic, you know, trying to take down the Empire and or Palpatine of the Empire is trying to bring about in the Senate. And if Yoda would have won, he would have stopped the Empire, obviously defeating Palpatine and the Republic would have survived, but it didn't. And it just crumbled just like the Senate chambers and the pods that Palpatine were throwing crumbled out there. And even though it took, you know, 20 years for the Senate to fully dissolve until we got to A New Hope, it, it really died there that day once they had that fight. Mm-hmm. 
like a real small thing here, but something I think about as Obi-Wan and Anakin are hiding on those pillars to avoid the lava. It looks like something they've been through a hundred times, but as allies hiding together from some destructive environmental force or some blasted fire or whatnot, taking cover, but they're, they're enemies, but yet they could be looking like they are allies still just protecting themselves, but then they go right back to fighting each other. Yeah. It's just like, all right, hang on a second. Let's make sure both don't burn to death because that's not going to help anybody. (laughs) Okay, back at you. At least not yet. Hmm. And it's like how that's hard to hear. Yeah, Yoda says failed. I have, and I don't think he's just talking about his duel with Palpatine. He's failed. He's probably about for a lot of reasons. And Mm, yeah, great point. A lot to think about on Dagobah and Exile, which obviously is what drives him to go into Exile. Yeah, and I mean honestly, I think that's the reason why he kind of gives up and leaves that fight. I mean, again, he realizes like at this point, once he gets knocked down to the floor, he's like kind of realizes he's at a disadvantage at this point. And he's like, well, you know what? Like I tried, I did my best. Like, I think the, at this point I'm going to be better off going into hiding. Cause he could have gotten back up and tried to go back up to Palpatine and continued the fight. But right. um, like he said, I, you know, he failed to kill Palpatine. He failed to protect the Jedi. He failed to, sense this plot and this threat that was you know looming the whole time and so he's like you know what maybe it's better to just go into hiding and reevaluate things and plus too, knowing what we learned in the yoda arc and clone wars how he knew that probably this always was a battle that not necessarily the jedi would win and kind of have to realize that the ultimate victory would be later on and not in this moment yeah in the actual time period of the clone war that's true I love that ending to that arc. So good. The idea of Yoda being the one that, you know, again, doesn't know what's going to happen, but just kind of having yeah. a little bit of a forewarning that like a little bit. Yeah. that Maybe things aren't going to play out the way we expect, but that, uh, that there will be like, even if things go South, even if we lose the clone war or, you know, something bad happens to the Jedi, like eventually there will be a new hope and we just have to wait it out. Which is why, I mean, we're all ecstatic that we're getting new Clone Wars episodes, but it always felt mm-hmm. that Yoda arc did serve as a satisfying finale to the series that would lead into Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. People, they always criticize, a lot of people always criticize this part with them on, like, it's like a video game, blah, blah, blah. And I just never understood, like, the complaints about this. Me it, this either. is just, just great. I, I yeah. love this. I mean, tweets are own, agree, disagree, et cetera, et cetera, but I love this stuff, man. This is Star Wars. Again, Star Wars on steroids. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we were hoping this would be an epic lightsaber battle, and that's exactly what we're getting <laughs> between yeah. these two characters. And it's, I mean, we had the battle between the two most powerful force users in the galaxy. Now we're getting the battle between arguably, you know, the two greatest heroes of the Clone Wars. And it's about to culminate in, you know, the creation of the greatest movie villain of all time. Like, go big or go home. Exactly. And this is the one thing I stayed spoiler free on. Like, what would be the final blow oh. that Obi Wan would do to Anakin to make him Darth Vader? There oh, so and, rough, man. This talk about meeting or exceeding the highest of expectations. The moment of Anakin, you know, being physically transformed into Darth Vader. Lucas absolutely killed it. I mean, seeing it for the first time, I was like, this is amazing. I'm seeing something. We were told about what happened, and it's being done so beautifully. A lot of it's because the music is so emotional. 
Ewan McGregor's acting, his dialogue mm, here. Ugh, God, mm. so good. And this, Obi-Wan's pouring his heart out to his brother that, you know, he's losing here. And then I love how this Anakin says, I hate you. And then Obi-Wan just returns, replies by saying, you were my brother. I loved you. So, so good and beautifully done, man. Yeah. And like this is my saying, second favorite Star Wars scene of all time. Yeah, it's just this, that good. This is that moment when he finally, like that Jedi stoicism and emotional control just breaks and he just loses it on Anakin. Um, but like you said, like confessing his love for him at the same time, it's not like, oh, I hate you. How could you do this? It's like, come on, man. Like we were brothers. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, again, to be the continuity dork that I am or just kind of deeper mythology dork that I am, I just love the fact that he acknowledges that you you were the special. You were someone special. You were supposed to, you know, bring everything together, not join them. Like, I mean, I love the idea that Obi-Wan is, is just so just he's upset because he, he's his own failure, right? Like he mm -hmm. blames himself yeah, too. And, too. and he's like, you know, you were the chosen one. You were supposed to like save us all. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was supposed to do. And, and it, it's all, I think his frustration is his own, like his own failure is all coming out at that moment. And you McGregor, like you said, Tim, just does an amazing job of portraying all those emotions, his, his anger at Anakin, his anger at himself. It's all there on his face. His response, you know, you know, you're supposed to, you know, defeat the Sith, not join them. And, and he says, and then he kind of composes himself and says, you're my brother. I loved you. But it just, it's very human. And like you said, like he finally lets the, the Jedi walls kind of come down and he becomes compassionate and you see that. And Ewan McGregor just nails it. Mm -hmm. And sort of the, the beauty and the irony and the tragedy of it when we're talking about, you know, Anakin failing as the chosen one. And going back to even that scene earlier when Yoda says, you know, talks about the prophecy possibly being misread, like he is the chosen one. He does go on to destroy the Sith. It just wasn't in the way that they predicted or that they foresaw. And even Obi-Wan in that moment, like giving up on him. And, you know, even when we see later in Rebels, when Obi-Wan fights Maul and, you know, with Maul's dying words, he finds out that Obi-Wan is protecting Luke. And he says, tell me, like, is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan says he is. But and, you know, Luke was the one to help redeem Vader and bring him back to the light side. But ultimately, I mean, at least I still believe. But I know like George Lucas has said this in interviews, too. Like it's all the Anakin Skywalker story. Like he is the chosen one. And at the end of Return of the Jedi is when he finally fulfills that prophecy and he destroys mm -hmm. the Sith and brings balance back to the force. And so, I mean, it's kind of sad to see. Obi-Wan give up on him here knowing what we know happens later but at the same time obviously you can't blame him because you know knowing all the terrible things that Anakin has done like as a Jedi why would you still cling to that like oh well he can still be the chosen one like maybe he'll eventually turn on Palpatine and kill him and then there'll be balance like you know at this point you're just dealing with the weight of everything that's just happened and sort of that disbelief that you know your friend and your brother would betray everything like that. And the scene that could have been right here. <laughs> oh man, yeah. But still, we we still know what's going on with Yoda right there. So, <laughs> yeah. And for those that maybe haven't heard the story, I mean, this is the scene where Yoda is just meditating at the medical facility on Polis Masa when uh, Obi Wan brings Padme there. Um, and originally, he was supposed to actually be communing with Qui Gon Jinn, and Liam Neeson was supposed to film a quick little scene for that. 
Um, and I think like the day they were supposed to film it, he got in a motorcycle accident and just wasn't able to make it to the set. And probably just because wow. it was late in production and it was like a last minute thing, I guess, instead of like rescheduling um, or being able to film that some other time, they were just like, well, maybe we'll just have Yoda just, you know, meditating by himself. Um, oh, so good right here. How visually yeah. cool looking is this, man? Mm-hmm. Of course, on the rain. Man, and Cooper's how visually, Palpatine. how cool was it to see this same place in the Clone Wars series when they brought Fives yeah. there in the Order 66 arc? That just gave me chills, realizing, like, holy crap, they're in the spot where Vader's going to be created. It's funny to think about sometimes, or at least I do, about Paulus Massa and how, you know, when you think about Luke and Leia, you think about their home planet as being Tatooine and Alderaan, but their birth planet was Paulus Massa of planet <laughs> not even boring, planet, like an <laughs> boring. Like, this that's way better tatooine all around the way better than this boring place i never would have guessed it going into it but this is the birthplace of luke and leia yeah, yeah but it's not the, it's not but it's not where the home world where they grew up no so, yeah, yeah but it's no. their birthplace <laughs> I was born so in like Brooklyn, on all their biographies, like these character encyclopedias, when it tells you the uh, character yeah, breakdown, yeah, yeah. it'll say birthplace, Paulus Muscle, not Tatooine, not I'll Alderaan. I'll say I was born in Kirkland, Washington, but I, I live in Seattle, Washington, and I consider myself a Seattleite, not a Kirkland <laughs> person. I just love the juxtaposition here of mm-hmm. Anakin being cre- or Darth Vader being created at the same time that Luke and Leia are being born, and again when you're. T- Paul, when you were talking about earlier, like knowing how Palpatine gets all scarred up from Mace Windu and like when you watch the original trilogy, like knowing that backstory and that context of having seen that happen in the prequels, just like knowing the main characters of the original trilogy and everything that happens between Luke and Vader and, you know, Leia leading the rebellion against the Empire, like all these pivotal figures and watching basically all of them be created at the same time. Um, And just, you know, again, the juxtaposition of kind of life and death almost i mean padme's dying the twins are being born anakin is dying vader's being born like it's just it's just so poignant and beautifully well done and this right here as the helmet goes on vader's head the the mask comes down over his face um that look that anakin has that fearful look he has like this is my life now yeah yeah and gosh just the, so this right here, as the mask seals into place, the helmet slides down over his head and just clicks into place. And then he takes that first breath as Darth Vader, my favorite shot in all of Star Wars. I've always, always defended the no. Everyone would talk about you're so dumb. How do you do that? Oh my god! I so many people try to say that crap to me. You know what I always tell them? It makes sense. He's like he doesn't want to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Everyone like talks about like it's. It, and I also said it's like an old monster movie, man. Look at the way it's it's like Frankenstein. Yeah, I got mm-hmm. heard criticisms about oh look how funny Darth Vader's walking when it comes out of that. Of course he uh, would. He's just got robot legs oh, for the first gosh. time. Oh yeah. <laughs> Though those hot takes have not aged well, that's all I gotta say. No, because nope. no one cares, dude. Man, I, I was actually kind of surprised that Lucas decided to put this moment in the first teaser. But man, boy, we did it do its job of getting everyone excited, and it's just such a great moment, man. <laughs> he also did, he also did the right thing by CGI and his arms down too. Yeah, mm, agreed. But that shot of Vader's helmet right there was like Mm -hmm. my desktop wallpaper for so long, both at work (laughs) and at home. (laughs) 
Man, just hearing James Old Jones back for the first hearing him say Padme. That was Padme. weird. Yeah, that yeah. was weird. Where is Padme? So cool. Is she safe? It was a little weird at first, not a lie. This part's amazing, though. Yeah, and, and especially really I mean, where when, when Anakin just... dies here, man. I mean, yeah, he knows, finds out Padme's dead. Darth Vader takes over. Yeah, and when you see him, even before he steps off the table, when he's just kind of moving around, I mean, it looks really kind of stiff and like jumpy almost but it totally like you said it totally makes sense because he's adjusting to all these mechanical limbs and breathing apparatuses and everything for the first time like the way he stumbles there i've never had any problem with the no i mean i hear what you're saying paul i think it maybe could have been done a little bit better just so it didn't sound quite so cheesy it's one of those parts in the movie that i don't love but i've also never like had a huge problem with it like some people um, yeah, for me, when I because I knew about the no line being in the movie like a few months beforehand, and I just heard like Vader screams no as he realized Padme's dead. And I remember thinking, picture in my head, this was going to be an awesome moment. I was picturing he's going to be do like a big Dragon Ball Z type screaming <laughs> where he just lets out all his anger. But so when I first heard it, it wasn't quite what I was expected, thinking, uh, I don't know. But in the end, I don't really have a problem with it because of the reasons you were saying, Paul. It's Anakin really the last bit of Anakin going mm-hmm. away there. I mean, that's yeah. it. And like, it's the certainly, last bit of humanity was said there. Even if it's not perfect, like it certainly doesn't do enough to ruin an otherwise fantastic scene where we're seeing the creation of Darth Vader. Exactly. Mm. I have to say, too, that if you want to have the continuing adventures of Darth Vader right after he says, no, please pick up the Charles Soule Volume 2 Darth Vader comic series yes. by Marvel Comics. Well, start with because, Volume 1. Uh, he means as a series. As a series. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a second second series of Darth Vader series. Yeah, but anyway, it's, it's by Charles Soule. And Giuseppe Camicoli, and you will not regret it. It's the best Star Wars comics ever written, in my opinion. And it literally takes place right after the no. So yeah. go read it. Mm-hmm. Find out what happens to Palpatine right after there, which is pretty oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rad. It's pretty cool. I love the other big question coming in too. Like, how are they going to explain three PO and R two not remembering? I know three PO. I was a little bummed about three PO. It's like that's a little convenient, George. <laughs> it had to happen though. I know. I wonder, too, how many people, the shot's coming up, but as we're seeing the funeral for Padme, right there, that's Padme's parents, because they were only in the deleted scenes, and if you just watch the movies, you'd have no idea really who those people are, but Mm -hmm. there were parents and her sister. Yeah, and then even just seeing her still clutching that Japur snippet that Anakin made for her, which is such a kind of heartbreaking and like nice touch to, you know, just reminiscent of the good person that Anakin was and who she fell in love with in the first place and kind of, you know, where he started from. And now, you know, it's taking you all the way back to that slave boy on Tatooine. And then it cuts to the next shot of him as Darth (laughs) Vader walking on the bridge of the star destroyer with Tarkin and Palpatine watching the creation of the death star. Boy, did I geek out here seeing the empire pretty much that we know and love from the original trilogy, making its presence here. The last few minutes of the prequel trilogy is just so cool. Yeah. Man, just such a great shot there, too. Yeah, even that shot of Vader crossing his arms. I mean, that's like little Anakin right there, because we've seen him do that in a few shots <laughs> of the Phantom Menace. But... 
And it's really great that we got to see Alderaan and what that planet looks like. And this kind of, you know, it makes it more sad when you see Leia have to watch it be destroyed by. I know. Vader it's so Tarkin. beautiful. Exactly. <laughs> I used to, because I used to play Star Wars The Old Republic a lot, um, you know, the online MMO game. And you can, like, Alderaan is one of the, the main planets you can visit in that game. And even in the game, they did such a beautiful job. Like, it's just the scenery of the planet is gorgeous. And I used to just kind of jokingly, like, because I was in a guild and I would chat with people and I'd run around on Alderaan and be like, darn you, Tarkin! <laughs> <laughs> wow. What do you guys think about the Yoda scene going to Dagobah being deleted? Do you think that was the right call? For uh, I, I, it probably should. I think they could edit it right after uh, Leia and it, it would have been fine. Well, I don't think it I think would... before before Le- Luke and Lake. I think All they right, whatever. Together. Yeah, okay, okay, but okay. I think it would have been cool to see. But I also don't think it's absolutely necessary because we know where he goes. Okay. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, I guess you could say the same about Luke and Leia, but um, just I mean, for me, it's They're the focal just... point of the whole saga, though. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um. Because I remember, you know, obviously I've seen that deleted scene like on the DVD and the Blu-ray and stuff. And then if you watch it with I forget if it's like with the commentary or if it's just on some of the behind the scenes stuff where they say, you know, George basically explains why they left it out and said they wanted to focus just on the main characters. And you see Padme, you see Vader, and then you see Luke and you see Leia. Um, And so, I mean, I think it wouldn't have like ruined the movie or anything if they put Yoda in there and it would have been cool to see him one last time. But at the same time. Again, I, I can understand why he felt it wasn't necessary to put it in there. And as fans of the original trilogy, certainly, like, we already know where Yoda ends up, so. But, man, can you ask for a better ending for the prequel trilogy right there in that shot? Nope, no. Uncle Owen, Aunt Peru with baby Luke looking at the Tatooine sons. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, this movie so good. Yeah, I'll tell you so what. Good. As we've been sitting here watching it and just talking about everything that makes it great and everything that we love about it, it's flirting with the number two spot on my list. Wow. It's, well, it's, I'll just go ahead and say it. It is my number two favorite Star Wars movie. It has been for a it? while, and it's going to be cemented there forever, I think. I mean, yeah. I don't think anything's going to top Empire for me, and we'll go into that when we do that commentary. But Revenge of the Sith is right there. It's just so, so well done. Yeah. Man. See, for me, it's still Return of the Jedi, then Empire Strikes Back with Revenge of the Sith nipping at its heels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. We'll have to see. Maybe by the time we get to Empire in our rewatch, maybe I'll be like, you know what? That was good, but I enjoyed Revenge of the Sith more. Um, yeah, I don't know. Point, if yeah. if that is the case, it's going to be one of those things where they'll probably will flip flop back and forth on my list over time. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. I don't think that my top three is ever going to change between yeah. Em- yeah Empire Jedi and Sith. Yeah, that's exactly me too, Kyle. I don't know, and trust me, Rogue One. It it did. I saw Rogue One quite a few times in the theater too, and you know, it just as much as I love Rogue One, it just doesn't have the emotional weight as far as the the climax of a trilogy, uh, the characters that we kind of always wanted to see. There's so much, so much, uh, so many expectations on Revenge of the Sith that I think that it finally delivers. That people just had given up on Lucas at, at that point that I just don't think Rogue One could ever measure up to it. It's, it'd be impossible. They'd have to do a whole Rogue One trilogy to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And Revenge of the Sith just does the unthinkable and does a third movie in a trilogy the best, in my opinion. And 
I just, you know, like you said, it's my top three are firmly probably set forever. I just, I have a hard time believing that anyone will be able to overtake George Lucas's Revenge of the Sith. Um, I just, I just don't see it happening. I, there's too much I love about it. Again, and maybe, maybe there is some nostalgia with it that is, you know, is is adding to everything, but. Yeah, I gotta say, I, I I really thought Rogue One may could, like, could Rogue One maybe do it? Nope. It, you know, no Star Wars film that's come out has cracked the top over overtaken the the master George Lucas. And you know, and the original trilogy films of, of Jedi and, and Empire, we'll get into those later when we review them, but or when we do the commentaries. But I gotta say, it's just it's gonna be hard to overtake anything close to that. And Revenge of the Sith to me is just is just legendary and it always baffles me when I, and everyone's got a different opinion, of course, but when I see revenge of Sith lower on people's, uh, list, I just am baffled. I'm like, man, I just can't mm-hmm. see it, you know? And again, everyone's different and it makes it all, it always makes us unique and whatever, but yeah, I, I, I just, I can't believe people would put revenge of the Sith so low and, yeah, I like you said, Kyle. These these top three: Empire, Jedi, or Jedi, or Empire, and Sith, are probably forever going to be my top three. Yeah, and see, I think my mistake was with like with the Last Jedi. I got so excited for that movie and so hyped up, and just you know, with the like with our four hour trailer analysis episode and you know, just <laughs> yeah, speculating sure. and all the questions that we had going into it from the Force Awakens. I let myself think that maybe the last Jedi will be my new favorite, or maybe, you know, it'll be like in my top three or something like that. Like going into episode nine, I'm not setting any of those kind of expectations for myself. Now I haven't seen the trailer yet and maybe they'll put out a trailer that'll get me really super excited about it, but I'm going to really try hard not to like fall into the hype. I mean, I'm going to get excited for it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not expecting it to land on a certain place on my list, or I'm not expecting it to be better than this movie or that movie. I'm like, you know what? Just give me a fun star Wars movie and we'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, like, and, and cause I'm okay with that. Like when, when the Disney movies first came out, like even in the buildups of the force awakens, I was like, Oh man, it's a new era of star Wars. And I'm hoping that it can, you know, surpass what's come before and like maybe i'll have a new favorite star wars movie even after you know the force awakens or rogue one or last jedi or whatever but i'm at a point now where and it's not because i'm like disappointed with the disney movies it's just like and like you said maybe it's nostalgia too the fact that i've loved these movies for so long i'm like i think i'm at a point now where yeah i don't think anything's ever gonna top these top three and if they prove me wrong awesome like, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't have to go to a new Star Wars movie. Like, it's not going to be a letdown if it's not my new favorite or my new number two or exactly. number three favorite or whatever. Just mm-hmm. enjoy it for what it is. And the fact that these three are, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the best ones, like, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, with Revenge of the Sith is while I know that it's great for me as a Star Wars fan is we've watched these movies to death tons of times now with the TV series Clone Wars and Rebels. There's always these episodes that you feel you're watching something special. Like it feels like the best that Star Wars has to offer. And you get that with your favorite Star Wars films too. And that's exactly what I get with this movie. Every time I watch it, I mean, it's 14 years old now. Every time I watch it, I feel like I'm seeing something special. It's just a wonderful story that Lucas is telling in the saga overall. But this is one of the most one of its most important chapters and it's so beautifully well done and just when you 
put it in with all the other movies, to me, it just elevates it. That's the thing that I love about it. Every new installment, whether it's a TV show or a movie, there's something in there that you can draw back and look at Revenge of the Sith for me that just elevates it and puts it on another level and just that makes it special and is up there with that Empire specialness for me as being my top two favorite movies. And I just love, I love it so much because of those reasons. And yeah, when going into it, I mean, you guys talked about the beginning, but um, I was going to chime in again at the end about leading up to the movie when it came out. Just the excitement level maybe wasn't quite at where it was for The Phantom Menace. I don't think anything will be at that level again, but it was pretty close knowing at the time it was going to be the last one. And we we're going to see some moments in the movie that we only dreamed about as Star Wars fans and we're all we can imagine in our head. And that got me super excited as i mentioned you mentioned paul about just thinking about certain things we're going to see the movie just in everyday life and it was probably the when we got to that moment it was the longest i've waited in line for a movie at the time i remember going in line like at two o'clock for the midnight showing there was no seven o'clock early thursday screenings back then it was always the midnight was the first song so it was a long wait Back but, in my day, it was all yeah. midnight. Not it wasn't that no seven o'clock or five o'clock. I'll get some VIP screeners here. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on my old man rocking chair on the front line as yeah. I tell the story. Yeah, but <laughs> it's pretty accurate, which is really sad. But anyway, but it, at the same time, it just adds to the excitement and the fun of that night and that moment of seeing the movie for the first time. And I'll be honest, I've said this before. After it was over, I didn't know how to feel. If, I know I saw a great Star Wars movie, but the fact that it was the last one and go, did it meet expectations, all those things were going into my head. So I'd, I'd had a positive reaction afterwards, but not quite at the level how I feel about it now. But multiple viewings afterwards, kind of quickly afterwards, I should say, put it near that level. So it was Revenge of the Sith. I mean, for personally, it was the, the year it came out was probably one of the roughest moments in my life. <laughs> a lot of stuff that happened during that time. And 2005 is a year I kind of like to forget, except for two things, Revenge of the Sith and Batman Begins <laughs> when it comes to mm, entertainment things. Well so said. Yeah. I always appreciate it on that front, where even though it was a rough period for me, that movie, I mean, it's what, you know, I look to and to get through some of those rough times and kind of <laughs> in a weird way. And I don't want to say parallels where the stuff that the characters went through there mirrored what happened to me in my life. But this, it was, I felt ironic that, one of the roughest time periods in my life is when the Star Wars movie that came out there was the roughest or like the darkest one too. So it was kind of a fitting in a way, so to speak. But it just from knowing be being a big Star Wars fan, having that movie there at that time was you know, another reason why I kind of look at it fondly as well and just have it up there as one of my favorites. So there's just so much for me to love about Revenge of the Sith. And boy, it never gets old watching it. I'll say that. And this was definitely one of the most fun times watching it, getting to experience it with you guys and just geeking out of talking about why we love it so much and hold it in such high regard as Star Wars fan. It was, it was a blast. Yeah, definitely. One thing I want to go back to real quick, just so I don't leave a dangling plot thread. I had mentioned way back earlier in the movie this thing from, um, from the Cinema Wins YouTube channel where there was like a really cool little nuance that they picked up on in the movie. Um, and I said I was going to go back to it later, and then I completely forgot about it. So in case anybody was still waiting for that, I was just going to finish that thought real quick. It's when uh, when Anakin kills Count Dooku at the beginning, and then he kind of regrets it, and he says, I shouldn't have done that. It's not the Jedi way. And Palpatine says he was too dangerous to be left alive. 
Um, right then Anakin finds out that Palpatine's a Sith Lord and he's evil. So he's like, oh, of course he would say that. And then Mace Windu defeats Palpatine. Anakin tells him we have to take him prisoner and let him stand trial. And Mace Windu says, no, he's too dangerous to be left alive. And that's probably when it really clicks in Anakin's mind what Palpatine said about how the Jedi and the Sith really aren't that different. So when you have to choose mm-hmm. between two different corrupt ideologies, of course you're going to just go with the one that offers you the power to save your wife. Um, yeah, that's a great point. I never looked at those two bits of dialogues that way before, but makes yeah, total so sense. I, I heard that. And I was like, whoa, that's a really good point that they picked up on. So credit to those guys for that. But um, Yeah, see, new things to appreciate every time. Yeah, <laughs> and thing. even as we were talking through this, like I said, I was kind of even picking up on just some little background details and stuff going on that I hadn't really noticed before. And I've seen this movie uh, well, I don't know if I can say more, maybe more than any other Star Wars movie. Definitely more. I've seen this one definitely the most of all the prequels, um, I can safely say, because I know I watched this one a lot just on DVD, Same. like in high school and stuff. Um, but the original trilogy I watched on VHS as a little kid, even before the, the before the prequels came out, like more times than I can count. So I really have no idea which Star Wars movie is my most watched of all time, but it's probably one of the original trilogy ones. But definitely in the last like 10, 15 years, um, Revenge of the Sith is you know, the one I've watched the most. And the fact that you can still pick up on little nuances and details and things and performances and stuff um, is just really cool. And it's, uh, yeah, definitely been a blast getting to watch it and talk through it with you guys and um, kind of share different things about you know, our different opinions on things and why we love certain things and just memories of watching the movie for the first time and all that kind of stuff. So, um, this has been yet another, uh, quite excellent commentary episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed Mm -hmm. listening to it, um, along with us. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to keep going and, uh, keep doing more of these throughout the year. But I think at least for me, doing Revenge of the Sith definitely lived up to my expectations. We talked about at the beginning how this was going to be a fun one and it definitely was. Oh, yeah, without question. And, yeah, crazy to think we're already done with the prequel trilogy. So I know. <laughs> on to oh, the man. next era. Dang, yeah. man. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to just about wrap it up for now. Um, so, as always, uh, you guys can uh, check us out with the podcast stuff online. Follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. Um, our website is starwarstsc.com and you can find all our news stories and stuff on there. Um, and you can check us out uh, or send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com. Um, if you want to send us any thoughts uh, or questions or comments or anything for us to read on the show. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for now. Um, not sure when this episode's going to be out, but, uh, you know, we'll see you guys next time we do either another movie commentary or just another regular episode. I'm sure this one will probably be out sometime after celebration. So we'll probably have a lot of other awesome star Wars, uh, content just to be talking about in our regular episodes. And I can't wait for that too. So, um, but yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening and we will see you next time and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Get beat, brother!